Not fucking around. We got shit to do today. <laughs> Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. Is there going to be enough time for me to edit? It'll be fine. Okay. It'll be fine. All right. Okay. So, uh, and thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, well, I'm a bit flabbergasted. Oh, my. About that. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> we were fucking around. Yeah. And then you just went right into hello, and usually you... Like, oh, I'm sorry. Did I spring it on you? Clear your throat. I didn't spring shit on you. You should, We were supposed to be ready 16 minutes ago. You can't be accusing me of springing shit on you. I'm just saying, like, we, we went from... Schedule talking with our guest very casually about a number of things to and go and it's like oh i need to and i i wasn't allowed time to get into character david the character of tyler smith okay film critic extraordinaire um well you know what characters i like the ones that rick de played <laughs> and he died yesterday and i'm very sad about it obviously despite the <laughs> awkward segue yeah uh that's uh i mean that's a guy who because he was in the burbs yeah and Die Hard mm-hmm. uh, and other stuff. But those two like movies that I watched over and over again. Yeah. It's a very small part in Die Hard, but it's a memorable part. Yeah. And he was also in, you know, for more slightly more modern audiences. I guess this movie's 15 years old now, but he was in like scary movie. Um, mm-hmm. And he's just he's one of those guys that would pop up in mo- in comedies. Oh, Groundhog Day. I'm forgetting Ground- Groundhog yeah. Day. And just he was such a dependable comic actor and he had such a specific type of screen presence i mean i I don't mean to be a jerk when i say this he wasn't remarkably um versatile you know not to imply that he couldn't be but he was cast because he brought a very specific energy and a very specific type of uh i don't know um he was the he's the affable blue collar doofus yeah right (laughs) that's i guess that's the way to put it and just and and he is affable but he also and it's weird i don't actually think of him as blue collar i could see him more as as, affable and doofus i'm right there with you but i see him more as suburban maybe because of the burbs uh, but like because of the burbs yeah but in die hard he's the uh electrician yeah and in groundhog day he's like a well he's he's like a camera guy who is he not camera uh i don't remember exactly who he's the guy in the diner right Yes. Yes. <laughs> he plays, you can talk. He plays Gus, the guy in the diner who, uh, him and, uh, oh, Rick so Overton. he's not the camera guy, but he's in the diner. No, cause Chris Elliott's the camera guy. That's right. right. Okay. I'm getting, I was so getting, it's, uh, it's Rick, Rick Dukeman and Rick Overton, I believe. Oh, that's right. right. Yeah. Two, yeah. Yeah. The two and so they're pretty, they guys, seem yeah. pretty blue collar. Yeah. I guess, the, I guess there is that, but, um, he also played a monster in a movie called little monsters that scared me when I was a child. I, it is I not saw that. Movie. I don't remember. You don't need to have Being seen scared it. by it. Oh, I was scared by everything as a child. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, and he died fairly young. Yeah. And he, in fact, was uh, there's some uh, disagreement on what age he was. But even if he is the older of the two, that's still pretty young. Yeah. And uh, and that bums me out uh, yeah. quite a bit. Let me because we're talking about a few here, but he was also a prison guard in Spaceballs. Mm hmm. He, yeah, Little Monsters. He was uh, in The Hunt for Red October. <laughs> okay, I didn't. I don't think I remembered that. He was a security guard in Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Of course. He was in The Last Boy Scout under the name <laughs> Pool Owner. <laughs> he was in Encino Man. I don't remember that. He was in National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1. Okay. Last Action Hero. All right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, blank Check, which I've never seen, but I think people who are slightly younger than I am have actually 
very fond memories of the movie. I was already, I think, too old by the time Blank Check came out. Yeah, I saw it and so. and I thought, oh, this is just a ripoff of Home Alone. And I think when you start saying this is a ripoff of something, uh-huh. I think you that means you're too old for this. <laughs> right, yeah. But uh, Jury Duty, I definitely saw that mm-hmm. one. Um, yeah, Scary Movie, MVP Most Valuable Primate. <laughs> the last thing I saw him in, although I don't really remember him in it, is Pauly Shore is Dead. Oh, I never saw it. It's not good. Oh, okay. But it has a great cast. Well, I know one, I know one guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess we just wanted to mention him because we've talked about um, The Burbs is a Battleship Retention favorite. Yeah. Die Hard is the movie I've seen more times than any other movie. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 we mourn Rick DeComen. Absolutely. Mm. All right. Um, we have a guest <laughs> to introduce, but why don't we uh, pay some bills real quick? All right. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Shut up. Listen. This episode is sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Mubi is partnering with the Human Rights Watch Film Festival in New York to bring you highlights from the fest past and present. Their collaboration begins by showing After Tiller, the National Board of Review winning documentary, examining, I've not seen it, examining the personal and ethical imperatives that drive abortion providers. Next is The Fortress, documentarian uh, Fernand Melgar's uh, exploration of new restrictive asylum laws in Switzerland. Uh, centering on a transit uh, facility for asylum seekers. Wow. I'm okay. Quick side note. That sounds fascinating to me, partially because it's so specific. Uh-huh. Specificity for me is just yeah. like someone, like even if everyone agreed, yeah, this is a problem for someone to say such a problem that I'm going to make a movie about it. Damn yeah. it. I find that fascinating. Uh, anyway, um, Oh, and then that same director offers another charged portrait of uh, migrant detection in uh, migrant detection in Switzerland. Sorry, my phone just turned off. Uh, it's called Special Flight, and it is a look at the end of the migrant's journey. So all of these are available at Mubi uh, and many more. Uh, and there is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship to redeem now. And I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com, which is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. Uh, they're all very stylish. They're all very, they're all very colorful, and they mm-hmm. all sound fantastic. Yeah. Um, and you can find those at tweakedaudio.com. Um, they're already a low, low price, but if you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, you get that for one third off and no shipping charges. That's tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. I've used that uh, several times. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, sorry. No, <laughs> no, you don't. I should have warned you. There was a thing we had to do there. Um, um, but uh, now there's a, f- a couple of announcements. Well, real quick, I want okay. to, and I want, no, I know we haven't introduced our, our guest. Okay. But we have some mail. Uh-huh. The listeners have been slacking on the mail a little bit lately, but we got a real gem here. Okay. How do you know that? Uh, because I've already read it. it was, oh, okay. It's just a postcard. Oh, okay. It's not even a postcard. It's just a, pi- a piece of paper. <laughs> With, with no return address or no, no, we don't know who it came from. It's okay. addressed to Tyler Smith and David Bax. All right. And it says in its entirety, it says 
Does it bother you Ted just pops out of his suit of armor from falling down the stairs in Bill and Ted's excellent adventure? That was dumb. I think that's a great listeners are weird, man. It's a super good question, though. I've always had a good question. How does that happen? Uh, I have not seen it in so long that I don't remember that happening. Okay, well, you need to watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Bill comes up to the suit of armor, fully put together, and thinks that Ted is dead. Yeah, he says, Don't be dead, dude. But what is he like? He he says, You killed Ted, you dillweed, I think. Something Uh, like that. Medieval dillweed. (laughs) Medieval dillweed. Um. Uh, yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, I would, you're going to have to go frame by frame and see if you can figure out how he just came out of the suit of armor Hmm. with it still. Yeah. It's like how in, even though this one makes sense if you watch it, but at the beginning of the first, the first and the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, the only only one that I've seen, there's a part where he's, when Captain Jack Sparrow is trying to get away, he's handcuffed and he does sort of like a, like a. What, 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 what's what I'm looking for? Like a glide down a... Uh, like a zipline like type thing. Like a zipline yeah. type thing, right? Yeah. But he's handcuffed. His hands are... He seems to... I'll say this. The chain is fairly long. Yes. And, and he does do... He does put his hands close together and do a little a little throwy thing. Yes, this is what I'm saying. You yeah. have to watch it to catch it. Yeah. Because my first thought when it happened was, that doesn't make sense. The things aren't right. together. How is he getting it over the over the cable yeah but that one makes sense i don't know if there is any sensible explanation for ted popping out of his uh i, don't, I would say no well, <laughs> well if ever i had a reason to rewatch bill and ted's excellent adventure i think that's the one so um, i think i mean it'll be shorter but i think we got our next uh, commentary oh speaking of which G- david i'm so glad you happened to bring that up uh yeah so um what if we did bill and ted's excellent adventure okay bill and ted's bogus journey all right Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2 as a four-movie marathon. Here's why that wouldn't work. <laughs> um, I feel like it's hard to do commentary on, on comedy. That's a good point. You already, you've already, yep. Okay. Yep, you've already uh, made your I point. I feel like uh, you just sound like, you'll sound like Chris Farley in the Chris Farley show, which yeah. is like, like, hey, you remember that part? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty funny. <laughs> um, or you just laugh the whole time, which is fine. You know, but yeah. uh, we we tried to do that on our show for Christmas episode, Christmas and New Year's. We tried uh-huh. to do commentary of the Christmas episode of Community, and then the New Year's episode of How I Met Your Mother, and it ended up being just us talking about why we liked those episodes <laughs> and yeah. like just going, "Oh, that was really funny." It's useless. I mean, I remember back when we had no. when we did our the top fifty comedies as voted by the listeners, and we uh-huh. had Wayne Fetterman on, and thankfully, you know, because we didn't have to spend too long on any one film, we could just sort of touch on what we like about it, why it's remembered, but you get to that top 10 and we're just quoting lines to each other, you know, and thankfully Wayne can make things funny. So it works out (laughs) fine. But uh, now, um, speaking of Wayne Fetterman and speaking of our guest, right? right. Ooh, very good. That's it. Well, it seemed like a bit of a spoiler, but that's fine. I think it's a worthwhile spoiler. I think it is too. Yes. Uh, our guest, I'm not Wayne Fetterman. (laughs) No, our guest, I, I I made it clear. Um, (laughs) our guest has been on the show before. He, uh, used to contribute to battleshipretention.com before he got, uh, too, too big for us. I'm I'm still uh, an avid reader of all your emails you send out. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. By the way, there are certain people who will go unnamed, such as front of the show, Jason Eakin unnamed, (laughs) who stopped writing for the website and asked me to take them off the list as if it takes so much time to not read an email or delete an email. It takes me no time at all to not read those emails. (laughs) Yeah. You, yeah, you're really good at it. Um, no, uh, it's Kyle Anderson. Hey everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. You were recently, uh, here in the battleship retention offices. 
Yes. Because we talked about the Alien movies. That's true. We did a, a marathon commentary. We did. Well, well, well it, it's all a blur for me. Where were you? Where did I you was the last 45 minutes of Alien Resurrection. You were at the... I was you, the, the very, very you end. Carried After us. all the famous people had left, <laughs> you call in old Kyle. Uh, yeah, but Wayne Fetterman is on to talk aliens. That's a, yeah. a spoiler, but that's... Well, a, and I should say, um, because we did mention a while ago that Josh Fadum, we mentioned that he was going to be on. Spoilers... Josh wound up having car trouble and he and he's not on the on uh, the commentary. But Wayne very generously decided to stay for about 90 minutes uh, because he could not get enough talking about aliens. Specifically. Well, you know, we're not going to. I I won't say any specifics, but what I will say is. uh, I've gone back and listened to these commentaries uh, and. I'm very proud of them, by the way, uh, and I'll, I'll talk about the pricing structure for them in a moment, but um, that Aliens thing, Wayne mentions his favorite line of the film. <laughs> Listener, oh, here, I can't mentally... Wait. I can't wait for people to hear this. <laughs> mentally, try and guess what that line is. You're incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> um, even if you had a computer go through every line and yeah, think, yeah. what are the more memorable ones? What are the most memorable 200 lines of that film? <laughs> you will not find Wayne Fetterman's favorite line that he and his friends would bandy about I, like I it was it. a joke. And I love that it became such a big part of the... <laughs> Like the fact that Josh couldn't make it meant yeah. that Wayne was going to get to be there for his favorite line. It, it a, became a big deal. I can't wait for the listeners to know what we're yeah. talking about. It, uh, and how, how will they find out what we're talking about? What you can do is you can go to battleshippretension.com and on the right side of the page at the very top, there will be a button that says uh, Battleship Retention Alien Commentary. Click on that and that will take you to a link and you can buy uh, each commentary for three dollars. So that's for Alien, Aliens, Alien Three, and Alien Resurrection. Or my recommendation: uh, you can get them all for ten. It saves you two bucks right it there. Saves you two bucks. You get the whole thing. You get Absolutely. to hear a couple of the running jokes that show up in more than one. That's true. Yes, uh, more than one one movie. It's yeah. It's uh, we had a great time doing it. Yeah. Um, um, is that, is that I, like seven and a half hours of entertainment for ten dollars? That is eight. That is eight hours. Wow. That is a Big, solid eight hours. Man. Yeah. I, I'd say that's worth it, everybody. Yeah. That's what I think. And, and it was worth the horrible cold that I got. <laughs> like it took so much out of me. Oh really? I can tell. Like that night, I was like that that took it out of I find that if I talk too much I'm like well I'm gonna get a cold it makes no sense yeah it's fascinating yeah I I do uh I was I think I had just gotten over a cold so I was fine but it is uh I felt like I I don't know it's it's a weird thing when I did theater in high school and if I was like if I had any kind of stage time at all at the end of it I felt like I just like ran a marathon. Uh-huh. I guess. I don't know. I've never run a marathon, but it's like, oh, if it feels like this, right. no, thank you. And some of it's like coming off the high of it, but then also you, I, I drop really fast and I, and I'm in like a bad mood for the rest of the night because when you have to sort of be on sure for eight hours and then suddenly everyone's gone and here I am just in my office and I have work to do. (laughs) You know, it's just like, this is awful. You know, I saw the, you know, how can you, uh, what is it? How can you, how can you, uh, go back to the farm after she's seen, uh, how are you going to keep them down in the farm after they've seen fill in blank? Yeah. After they've seen the alien commentary, (laughs) alien, the alien tetralogy. That's right. We got into, I got, uh, I don't know if you, you, I don't know if you can on the website, but we had a comment on the website, 
because we had talked about on a recent episode how the word quadrilogy well we referred to it as a made-up word yes and as this person pointed out that's not entirely true they the 20th century fox home video department did not make up the word quadrilogy for alien it was a word that you can find in the past yeah but the preferred term for yeah. a series of four works yeah is tetralogy yeah and and i'll tell you why why is that all the other words we use trilogy going into hexology and pentology and mm-hmm. octology and septology all have greek roots oh yeah quadrilogy is latin aha uh-huh. so the greek version is tetralogy and that's why it's preferred because it's more consistent well and of course the reason that fox went with quadrilogy is because it's more culturally identifiable the quad yes for yes right. and that's it's for it's, cool. it's for the common stupid person Indeed. but now there's a, a now it's the, the blu-ray which by the way we if nothing else, we wind up uh, really advertising the beautiful Alien Blu-ray set. Yeah, you should buy that and then buy the you commentary. You should buy that and the commentary. It'll come to probably like 35 bucks total. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that Alien Anthology Blu-ray is incredibly inexpensive. I went, I went and bought it uh, immediately. And so, um, uh, yeah, but they fixed it. And they decided not to call it uh, tre- Tetralogy or Quadrilogy. Right. They just said Anthology. But now I noticed on Blu-ray.com that um, there's a set of the first four Mission Impossible movies that's called like the MI quadrilogy Ugh. or something. So Paramount was like, oh, Fox, you're you're done with that bullshit word. <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's all available on the website. It's on the banner uh, or uh, the skyscraper banner right. on the right side of the other website. Um, so, it's more yeah. of a not really it's more of a walk up like a two-story walk up that uh i didn't sure, do one that's super that tall which super is fine tall. it gets the point it's you know you don't want the egg to have too much headroom and and uh what i will say this is a people ask uh how can we support the show um this is a very good way to support the show yes. and you get something in return yes we should make it clear that this is not like we're not taking the money we get from this and going and like we're not buying the MI quadrilogy or like taking ourselves out to lunch or whatever. Right. This goes back into the website. Absolutely. So these people are, uh, are, our friends, um, who, who came, who are funny and who are, uh, famous to some extent, um, and who are very knowledgeable came and donated their time. Uh, and it's all, it's all, uh, for a worthwhile cause, yeah. which is keeping battleship retention.com afloat. And it's, I mean, it, when you think about it, it's not that remarkably different than like our donation drive, right. uh, that we did many years ago right. where but everybody people, gets something, everyone gets something, you know, including hopefully the guests of the commentary. They all seem to have a good time. I know Wayne did. Yeah. Um, they got to he, see his favorite line. Absolutely. Um, it's not every day you hear that completely innocuous line. Now we have, uh, we have an episode to get to, but there is another announcement oh, okay. that I want to make. I don't remember what it is, which is, well, we haven't talked about it yet. But we talked about it over email today. The, uh, Comic-Con meetup is right around the corner. Oh, that's right. San yes. Diego Comic-Con at the time you're hearing this is 10 days away. Something like that. Uh, no, it'll be, it'll be a little more. It's a okay. That, <laughs> this goes up on the twenty first. Oh, so that's okay. like it's a it's like fifteen. It's like sixteen days away. Something like oh, that. okay. Uh, it is just over two weeks away. Is what I'm saying at the time you're hearing this. Yeah. Have you guys ever? I mean, I know everybody has done this, but have you ever been so convinced that you've done something very important, and then when the time comes and you go to follow up on it, you realize, oh no. I meant to do it, and I even researched doing it, but I didn't do it. 
Has that ever happened to you guys? No. Do you not have a hotel room or something? I do now. Thankfully, I'm a good. It's a good thing I thought. Hey, I better check on this. Oh my god. Yeah. Where are you staying? I'm not going to tell. Oh, off mic. Yeah. Um, down south, where I always stay. Okay. So. Um, it's near a Denny's. That's all you need to know. There we go. Uh, but no, um, the the Battleship Retention slash Criterion Cast slash Warner Archive meetup. Those are listed alphabetically, not in any other order, not in order of importance or anything like that. Well. <laughs> Battleship Retention Criterion Cast Warner Archive meetup. The annual, I haven't kept track of how many years we've done this. Um, yeah. Since I think 2011, I think we did one unofficially, the Thirsty Crow. Let me think. You and Tipsy I. Crow. The Tipsy Crow. Yeah, Sorry. Was, Thirsty Crow was is Thirsty. A, but the Thirsty Crow is on Sunset. Um, that's a real bar. Um, no, you're okay. So you and I did a Battleship Retention only one at the Tipsy Crow in 2010. 2010. Then yeah. we did a sort of informal joint meetup with Criterion Cast and Warner Archive in 2011. Okay. And then we've been at the du- at Dublin Square three years in a row now. 2012, 2013, 2014. That's right. We are no longer at Dublin Square. We thank them for hosting us for so many years. And for completely but, disregarding our, uh, our well, requests about that, uh, noise level. That's not... I want to defend... The, the Dublin Square people tried to honor our request. The sound engineer and band people yeah. didn't care that, that there was no reason for that speaker to be on when the only people who were in the back were yeah. the people who weren't there to see the band. Yeah. So we've, we, we tried to remedy the noise problem at the meetup last year. It didn't work. So with all love and thanks and respect to Dublin Square, we're moving on. Yeah. Now, uh, the, and I forget to get the address, but you know, everyone has computers in their pockets. You can look it up. Uh, now it is Thursday, July 9th at 8 PM at a bar called the bootlegger. Oh, nice. Uh, in, in the gas lamp, easily accessible to comic-con attendees. Kyle, you're going to comic-con. I am. I don't know if you're busy Thursday night, but you should come by this meetup. All right. I will. It's going to be a fun time. <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, but the boot, yeah, hey, thanks buddy. <laughs> the, the bootlegger, um, is going to be, is going to be great. They've been very, uh, the manager there has been very helpful and excited about having us there. It's going to be uh, me and Tyler. It's going to be Ryan from criterion cast. It's going to be the guys from Warner archive. Mm-hmm. They will. And I guess this isn't, um, they haven't said so, but I'm sure they'll be giving out free DVDs because yes, they, they do that do. whether there's a meetup or not. Probably They're always giving out free out of DVDs. a suitcase. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So there will probably be free Warner Archive DVDs. There will also be drinks on us. Yeah. Um, not food. If you not want food. food, they have food at the bar. Yeah. You're paying for the food yourself. But you want to drink? Uh, it's going to be on us. I'll say one um, thing that's a bummer about moving away from Dublin Square. What's that? That's some really good chicken strips. <laughs> Do you know if the bootlegger has good chicken strips? I don't know anything about. Uh, right. I haven't really looked at their menu. Oh but, boy, um, it's it's a nice bar. It's like got big. Care of. It's got big open windows, so the noise. There's no live music. The oh, nice. noise will dissipate a little better. We'll probably be able to hear each other. Mm. I'm really looking forward to this meetup at the bootlegger, and I'm of course I'm looking forward to Comic Con every year. We'll talk about in two weeks. We're doing our. Um, comic-con preview yeah it's uh it's coming up fast it snuck up on me I'll it, say it is a little earlier th- this okay. year than it has been yeah it's right after fourth of july i yeah. guess that's what it is yeah yeah, yeah the next week yeah really yeah. man oh man um okay as far as announcements i think that's it i think that's it We've so been going on for a while about basically nothing but it's been, very exciting. it's been good to podcast and actually it's less than 25 minutes in hey. compared to our usual bullshitting before the topic. That's true. We are being very swift. That's pretty good because it, it feels like it's been 45 minutes <laughs> at the very least. <laughs> joke, joke, joke. <laughs> oh, all right. You're Drink in. Awesome now, now you're in for it. All right. <laughs> um, no, we are talking about uh, this is Tyler. You can essentially sit back. You know what? I, I because um, my boss 
threw me some last minute work today that is it that is important to do i had this thought, i was like i'm not really necessary for the episode maybe i could and then i realized like i'd, I'd have to get david the equipment uh, or i guess i could just sit over there and work you while totally you guys do record that. You put on your headphones and work you could totally do that yeah but you guys would be driven insane by the incessant clicking of the mouse because uh, for, you're for, projecting for, that oh, would drive you insane that's true yes <laughs> i, I right. would probably be able to phase it out yeah it doesn't matter okay so right. why don't you go over okay, there and I'll get to work guys later. <laughs> <laughs> no we this are talking a lot of fun <laughs> we are talking about the 2015 la film fest uh kyle you were here last year right to talk yep. about the la film fest with us I, was i here the year before but i don't too? think you were okay i think uh it was just the two of us the year okay the year before was my first year covering it so right. i hadn't figured things out but uh i got a so a very healthy 12 films this year. That's pretty healthy, That's yeah. Um, last year was only eight. Two years ago was 20, yeah. and it nearly killed me. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew I wasn't going to be doing that again. How many did you see this year? Uh, I ended up seeing seven, I believe. Okay. Um, this this year, a sort of a uh, bunch of stuff started to happen, because E3 was the same week. Yeah. Uh, so, same several days. And, Which uh, made the Yard House Bar a pain. <laughs> very packed. So um, because so many people from uh, Nerdist, where I work, uh, were at E3, mm-hmm. uh, I, my presence was requested i.e. required to be in the office basically oh, right. the whole weekend so oh, wow. um i didn't get to go as much as i wanted to uh monday i could have gone but i was tired so sure. i didn't go but and also uh, i'm gonna say this i love la film fest yeah i do too la film fest, film fest is one of my favorite things that happens all year that we get that i get to cover for battleship retention i'll say this and i think we said it last year they gotta make their badge pickup press badge pickup yeah more accessible yes yeah. It, 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 it's not it's in a so they did not heed the advice yeah i guess know, they didn't listen year. to us last year luckily this year for me because because la- basically what it is, is you can only go pick it up at this one specific hotel up to a certain point during the day only until 6 p.m which for people who work yeah yeah for people who work it's tough it's tough you have to take a long lunch which is what i do and then pay for parking just to run in Ugh. find a hotel room it's not in an office or anything they literally like rent a hotel room yep. and you walk in it's a little shady and and get it uh it's the only it's my only complaint about la film fest other than that it's my favorite yeah and and luckily like for me this year uh it was wednesday i went and picked it up and i didn't have anything and i was picking my friend up uh my friend mike who who went he went and saw 22 films last year he did the insane thing last year um <sighs> Uh, did not do nearly that much this year, but um, we were circling that hotel trying to find a parking spot. And so basically at a certain point I was just like, all right, you go get yours. I'll circle. And then right. you get in my car and drive around the block <laughs> and I'll go up and get it. And that's basically what we had to do because there is yeah. nowhere to park. They you don't really have to pay make for it. it tough. Yeah. Even, even uh, uh, meters downtown. You can't find, well, they like to test you. They like to see how committed you are to, to go into this thing. Yeah, and yeah. I am committed. I go every year. Yeah. Um, I, I, luckily, I get to take the train most of the time or the yeah. bus because uh, yeah. then I don't have to pay for parking. Okay, complaints out of the way. Let's talk about how great LA Film Fest is. Well, and before we do, I do want to say real quick. Uh, this better uh, not be a complaint. It is not. We are done with complaints. <laughs> yes, no, this is... This is uh, the department is closed. This is pure, pure <laughs> praise. Um, listeners, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, we'll be talking about a lot of the movies on this episode, but... David, you've done a really great job. You've been Johnny on the spot with your report uh, reportage of uh, <laughs> of LA Film Fest and the films you've seen. Like these aren't little blurbs; these are like full reviews that you've written. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the past so few years I did on the website. like sort of 
blurb collections where yeah. I would do a few posts, like one every couple of days, just like with blurb reviews of everything I'd seen over the past two days. And then I would also do mini episodes. Yeah. And those weren't getting much play. So I kind of decided, how about I skip the mini episodes and just focus on writing essentially full length reviews of yeah. every movie that I see, which was so fun. So if we, if, if Kyle and David talk about a movie that, and you think, Oh, that sounds interesting. And you'd like even more detail. You can go to battleship com, and you can find a lot of in-depth coverage on the part of David. So uh, well done, David. Good. Thank job. you. And I would just like to say that I have not written anything about any of the films that I've seen. <laughs> so you don't get to read anything more about those. All right. So you need to talk really in depth. I will. Yeah. I'm pretty good at that. Well, I'm going to start um, yeah, please. with a movie that now there are a few movies that I was lucky enough to see through press or whatever uh-huh. before the festival, which made seeing more movies easier this year, but that aired at the festival. One of them. Now I always talk about how LA film fest is a great place to find movies that don't have distribution. That mm-hmm. Sometimes they're gems that you'll never, uh, like, sometimes they don't even have an IMDb page. I discovered. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, not so with this first one, the first movie that I saw that, uh, that played at LA film fest, uh, is the new Pixar movie inside out. <laughs> Which and it is it is being it is being called by reputable critics like myself. Oh, I don't know what to say. (laughs) Um, That it is Pixar's best movie. I boy, did I not expect that. Yeah, personally, I would still put it at number two behind uh, Toy Story three. Okay, but it has unseated Finding Nemo, which is was my favorite for a long time. Um. So my my top five at this point would go Toy Story three, Inside Out, Finding Nemo, Incredibles, Toy Story. Those are the top five wow. Pixar's for me. I think that's I'd, I think I probably go probably Wally, okay, Finding Nemo, Incredibles, Toy Story three, and then probably some other one. You got a top five Pixar? Uh, sure. Um, I'll this go. Is fun. This is fun. I'll go Wally, Toy Story three, um, uh, um, Incredibles. Um, uh, Monsters Inc. I think is great, mm-hmm. and um, oh gosh, they've had so many movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Finding Nemo. Okay, yeah, that's a good five. Yeah, uh, I mean, we all love Incredibles and Finding Nemo. It sounds like yeah, and yeah. Toy Story three, and Toy Story three. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty like it's pretty standard. It's what's odd is uh, Matt Singer wrote that uh, that for him it's Finding Nemo and Up, and I loved Up. It's not a perfect film, but there's a lot to love about it. Yeah. Um, well, it also has, by Pete Doctor, by the way, who did yeah, and Monsters Inc. Inside, yeah. Inside Out. Um, up anyway. has Up has third act problems. Yeah. Uh, yes, I could see that. Are you? Is this referring to the dogs that fly airplanes? <laughs> it is. We're uh, talking about it, that. It is something that is tough for me to wrap my yeah, okay. mind around. Sure. Do you feel the same way? I did. Yep. Yeah. I've only seen that once. It's the same way I feel about like the the detailed world of Ratatouille. Oh yeah. Does not convince me that a human person can be manipulated by having his hair pulled. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, that's, that seems like that's, it's like there's people say <laughs> we're already way off topic, but a lot of people say like in screenwriting classes, or whatever you get, you get one buy, right? You get from an audience. Yeah. Like the audience is going to buy, the buy the is that the rat can cook, that the rat can talk and yeah. cook. Yeah. And so to add this thing that he can control a human by pulling his hair is it's one buy too many for me. Yeah. Oddly enough, it, uh, that one uh, doesn't bother me. What actually bothers me, and I think this is something that you had mentioned, um, it certainly doesn't ruin the film for me. It was one of my favorite movies of that year. At the time, it was my it was my favorite movie of that year, but I think it has been uh, usurped by probably Zodiac. Um, but uh, the idea, like this weird little kind of a half-baked plot element, which is discussion of thievery. 
Oh yeah, yeah. And stealing and like, like uh, Remy is talking to his father and saying like, talking about stealing like garbage from people. And his dad says he's like, it's not stealing if nobody wants it. And then he says, well, if nobody wants it, why are we stealing it? And it's like that's not a point. That's like flipping things around and making a different argument. If nobody wants it, it's not stealing. Okay. People can take trash is what you're saying. People can take trash. It's fine. You know, Um, like, and that's the thing is like when I look at that and think about that and then see like things later on where Remy takes some stuff out of like a neighbor's garden uh, to use for Linguini to use. And then Linguini says, no, we don't do that. That's all well and good. If Remy had been on board with the idea of stealing earlier on. Right. But he wasn't. You know, that is like he didn't want to steal. He was terrible. He didn't want to steal garbage. But like, this is clearly something that somebody wants. It's from their garden that they're cultivating. Anyway, I can't tell if Kyle is bored or if that's just how he rests. That's just my face. (laughs) Because you're like, you've got like the full on like, like your head rested in. No, I was was listening to a droopy face there. Yeah, Yeah. the point. Sorry. Um, Anyway, sorry about uh, that. I do think Ratatouille is like the the film that nobody ever remembers from Pixar, but I think they should. I think it's marvelous. It's also the weird outlier in the Brad Bird canon, too. It doesn't really seem like the rest of it. I mean, it does if you really pay attention to it. And he wasn't on board from the beginning. He took it. was already developed without him, right? And he took it over. Isn't that? I have no idea. Maybe that's true. I don't think I knew that. I mean, it certainly at times does. It does feel like his at times, like when someone's like when like Remy's like running through the kitchen and all this stuff is happening. Mm -hmm. Like that seems very much like his his style of directing. But uh but yeah, we're so here to talk about Inside Out. Indeed, right. absolutely. Um, Why is it so good, David? Uh, it is, what I talked about in my review is that uh, I, I sort of tongue-in-cheek glibly referred to it as... The Studio ca- Glibly? <laughs> hey, what's <laughs> up, guys? The, uh, it's the cabin in the woods of coming-of-age movies in that it shows, you're seeing, a, a, like, the way Cabin in the Woods shows you a horror movie and then shows people behind the levers sort of Mm -hmm. making it happen. You're seeing a coming of age movie about this young girl who's moved from her home in Minnesota to this new city, San Francisco through the lens of these characters who are operating her emotions. And so it has that sort of, I guess, uh, meta textual deconstructive type of thing to it, which is fantastic. Unlike what rubs me the wrong way by Kevin in the woods, which I feel is a little bit smug about what it points out. Um, the, 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 the postmodern structure and the postmodern elements of inside out are just as heartfelt and just as, uh, recognizably human, even though these aren't humans, they're emotions or whatever, uh, as the story itself. And so it's an incredibly touching film that it also, um, it, it has a point. I'm the 10 millionth person to say this, but it makes a point that you don't often see, and then you'd be surprised to see in a kid's movie, which is that um, sadness is just as important as happiness, mm-hmm. and sadness is a part of growing up in mm-hmm. that. And anger, uh, I assume, as well, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, but it really, I mean, yeah, the five emotions that we see are joy, sadness, anger, fear, and disgust. Mm-hmm. But it is joy and sadness are the. Okay. The anger, fear, and disgust are sort of like the. A lot of times, they're just the comic relief for, mo- for the most oh, part. Okay. It really is about joy and sadness because they get separate from the group and sort of lost in the recesses of Riley's mind, and they have to like mm. get their way back to uh, headquarters, headquarters, the like control tower. Um, and uh, yeah, that sadness is a part of uh, growing up, and that um, losing things and part of your childhood, childhood and your childhood self dying off 
is a natural it's sad but it's a natural and necessary part of growing up yeah. it's a movie like i doubt anyone with a heart could keep their you know could have a dry eye through the movie it's incredibly emotional and i'll say this right now i'm going to say this even though it's only june come awards time i know this won't happen because voice only actors never get nominated for these sorts of right. awards but richard kind turns in maybe the best performance of his entire career interesting he play while they're lost in <coughs> in the recesses of riley's mind they come across her mostly forgotten childhood imaginary friend a sort of elephant thing called bing bong oh voiced by richard kind whose purpose to riley no longer exists and he's sort of just wandering her mind uh it's an unbelievably emotional and tragic performance uh wow it, it's awesome i'm gonna uh, go see this tomorrow i was going to anyway but that do we i i think that each of the pixar guys have their own like like you can really tell the proclivities i guess of the different directors yeah. when you see them and to me pete doctor's always been like the sweet one like he, he his movies are always about like children um learning right. about the world and stuff like that which i think but is, he also has that the the tragic opening salvo of up yeah um which is again like this as much as i have problems with flying dogs and or they're not yeah. even flying dogs they're dogs operating airplanes. Yeah, they're dogs. All right. As much as I have problems with that, yeah. obviously, it had to be insane to say the opening of Up isn't, oh my God, it, isn't astounding. I mean, and also, yeah. similarly, like I'm saying, isn't something you expect to find in a quote-unquote children's film. Right, yeah. So, that's Inside Out. Um, I'm not sure how, how we want to do this, Kyle, going back and well, forth. How many did or, you say you have? I have 12. You have 12. Okay, well, you can... You do a couple, and then okay. I'll... Okay, so, I'll, yeah, I'll do another one, and then we'll toss it over to Kyle. Um... This is a film uh, directed by a guy named Dennis Houck. It's his first feature. It's called Too Late. Um, with, with your pal, John Hawks. It's got a That's great right, cast. Yeah. It's, uh, why, is my, why is he my pal? I don't know. You like him? I do. Yeah, I do enjoy him. Yeah. David hates him. No, I'm, I'm a huge <laughs> John Hawks fan. Um, I'm trying to bring you into the conversation, Tyler. Thank you. I but, appreciate uh, that. If, if I hear certain words, I'll wake back up. <laughs> So the cast is, yeah, John Hawks is the lead, but also um, Ryder Strong and Dash Mihawk play, I don't know, bumbling low-time drug dealers. Hmm. Um, Perfect. <laughs> Robert Forster and Jeff Fahey play older criminal partners. Nice. Um, and uh, Natalie Z from uh, Justified. I don't know oh, you, yeah. Know her. Uh, is in it, as is Joanna Cassidy. Um who I saw two films with Joanna Cassidy during the LA film fest. <laughs> One was um, Blade Runner. <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't Blade Runner, but, uh, as much as I, she's great in this movie and she's great in the other movie, but I will always think of her as Rose from don't Tom on the babysitter's dead. Uh, uh, I'm right on top of that Rose. But anyway, um, too late is a movie that is, I think getting mostly good reviews, but the bad reviews are really negative and I can, I understand why it's a very divisive movie. Mm. I come down in the, positive side of it but i do see what the i do see how this could if this is a movie that rubs, rubs you the wrong way it will do so immediately and for 107 minutes <laughs> it will not let up because it's very gimmicky in that it is it is composed entirely of five scenes in the whole movie and they are all except for a couple of flourishes it's five shots there's a there's a cut in the last one when he goes, he gets on an elevator and then it cuts to him getting off the elevator at the lobby. Um, that's the, that's the only major cut, but then he also does a thing, um, in the 
first one that I really like, actually, um, where a scene is taking place on a hill at Elysian Park. And the woman on a cell phone calls someone. And then the camera zooms slowly across down into the city. And you see John Hawks step out onto his balcony and answer the phone Hmm. from the same shot that's like, you know, a mile away or whatever. And then it split screens with an actual medium shot of John Hawks talking on the phone while you're seeing the zoom shot from uh, that's uh, it's cool. But also, I mean, the dialogue is really, really sort of. Uh, well, um, to bring up, uh, to pick a, a scab from our aliens commentary, it's very nineties. Okay. Um, it's very referential. Uh, it's very, um, uh, it's, it's clever. It's not realistic. It's heightened. Okay. Um, and obviously the conceit of every scene being one long shot is, gimmick that could rub people the wrong way it's beautifully done though um does it does it add to the narrative like do you understand why aside from it being a neat challenge for the director and it might be neat visually do you feel like this type of story is uh served by that choice um i i think it is because it's because the whole tone is so heightened i forgot to tell you the other thing about the movie, which okay. is that it takes place over the course of about three years, but each scene obviously is in its own real time. Right. And also they're not in chronological order. It's a nonlinear movie as well. Again, if this rubs you the wrong way, I would totally understand. It could be, uh, too many gimmicks, but, um, I think it's really well done. Would you say it's too much? Uh, possibly too late. Even too late. Yeah, shoot. <laughs> I forgot the name of the movie. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I very much enjoyed it. I would I would recommend seeing it. I think people who like filmmaking mm-hmm. uh, will will like it. But I'm gonna still it's still with a caveat that it's not for everyone. And there even as as a an advocate of the film, there are things about it that rub me the wrong way. But when it gets to the 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 I, I made this sort of I don't know plan words or whatever in my review as well. The centerpiece of the film, which is the literal the third of the five acts, the mm-hmm. centerpiece, um, which is the one that takes place chronologically. The earliest is beautiful. It's the, it's the least actiony one. Cause this is a detective sort of noir type of violent story. This is a very sweet thing that sort of, um, it, it establishes the connection between John Hawks and the character who he's looking for in the later things Hmm. it's it's the first time that they meet or is it we'll find out but anyway (laughs) um it's the 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 centerpiece is worth seeing the movie for um uh in general and i also uh, i I listed actors that you tyler would would know and that i'm assuming kyle would know but also um the actress uh i know never sure how to say her name dyken lockman she's on agents of shield yep mm. um it is dyken actually yeah she's great and she's she's great in general and she's great in this i'm a fan of her uh and yeah so i i again i would i'm gonna give it a b maybe b plus okay Too late. uh if you're interested if if what i said about its construction interests you then you should definitely check it out if you get a chance all right. So the first movie that I saw at the festival uh, was a, a movie called Miko, um, which was uh, directed by Sterling Harjo, which was uh, um, I, I tried to like I do every year with L.A. Film Fest. I look at the title and I look at the blurb 
Uh-huh. And then I go. That's basically it. Like I don't do any research going in. This one was shot in and around um, uh, um, the city in Tulsa. That's it, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, and it basically uh, is about the homeless Native American population, which mm. is pretty hefty there. Yeah. It's not a big city, but it's it, that. That's a pretty huge part of um, of the life there, or whatever. And, and Harjo is a. Uh, is a native American himself and just kind of um, became enamored with that culture of, of, you know, native Americans living under bridges and just kind of, you know, doing what they can to, to, to get by. And so the movie is about this guy, Miko who gets out of prison uh, after 19 years and uh, his family wants nothing to do with him because he, he killed his cousin 19 years ago. And uh, uh, you eventually find out w- how that happened and things, but, he basically just has to become homeless because he has, he's got some money because he, um, he made money in prison, which is strange, but um, so he can feed himself, but he doesn't have anywhere to live. And so he kind of just meets up with some, some old friends who are now homeless. And then there's this running thing of uh, uh, there is a, a witch and there's a word for it, but like this community has an, an evil spirit haunting it that's keeping everybody down and it to him miko it it basically becomes the form of this drug dealer guy who is also part of the community but he's 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 a bad guy the friend character basically says he's not homeless he's just playing with us like that's you know he's an awful human being he beats people he just Hmm. steals from people like he steals miko's hat the first night that he's there and then they're just like well you can't do anything about it because he'll kill you and so it's it's this kind of like this this evil force in the form of this guy keeps making life more and more miserable for Miko. And so then he, who is uh, a warrior, like he he's derived <laughs> from a, a warrior class, uh, uh, he has to kind of do something about it. And then, so it's a it's a really kind of you know lyrical movie, and it's kind of it feels very realistic because um, none I've n- never seen any of the actors. They're all local Tulsa mm-hmm. actors. The guy who plays Miko is a stuntman by trade, but he just mm-hmm. happens to be, and you kind of even though not all of them are great at reading lines. You kind of buy everything that they're saying because there's so much realism to it. Um, and there's this weird mysticism through it, which I think really works. Um, so yeah, I quite like that one. It's something that always fascinates me. And it's something that you don't see very often is that a non-professional actor, like they're not even really doing the things that we call good acting, but they just, there's such an authenticity to them. And, they seem to, even if they're not classically trained or anything, yeah, they understand the character, yeah, and they'll play it. And it's like, and even if it's like, yeah, that the delivering it kind of stilted, but it's like, but if you just look at their face and the way they carry themselves, like that's a good performance. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and and there's one girl, in, and she doesn't do a bad job at all. I, but she's the one who feels the most like a professionally trained actress, and she feels out of place because she is mm. she's kind of acting like you can tell that she's acting and reading lines and she's good at it and she's emoting she's doing all the things that acting teachers tell you to do but in this very realistic otherwise uh world of people talking it kind of struck a a sour note but not enough for me to not like the movie at all uh one thing that i want to actually request if possible is as we talk about each movie can you mention if you know if there's any kind of distribution? Oh, I yeah. think Inside Out's going to be all right. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, I, I, I you don't know about Too Late. I, I don't know about Too Late. Too Late. Here's the thing, and uh, I've seen in I've my my third LA Film Fest. I kind of have a feel now for which movies I think 
are going to end up getting distribution, although it was wrong last year with Deborah Granick's Stray Dog. I don't know why that didn't get a wide release. But, like, um, when I saw The Life and Mind of Mark DeFreeze last year, mm-hmm. I knew, like, okay, this is commercial enough. Um, with Too Late, I could see it getting a review. What do you think about Miko? Uh, Miko review, uh, release? Uh, I, I don't know, actually. I, I think it could, I, but I... Um it didn't feel particularly, I don't know where the market would be necessarily. Like it's a, gr- a really good film. I really liked it, but yeah. um, it seems like something that I would see at a, like a Lemley theater. Yes. Here yeah. yeah. It could get, it could get a really small release like that. It might maybe go to, to VOD or something like that, but I hope some of these do. Cause I, I do too. I want to, I want everybody to see these movies. I saw one two years ago called my sister's Quintanero, which is, was amazing. It just, just, I never heard of it. Again. Yeah. Um, all right. The next movie I'm going to talk about is one that you both have seen. Um, I'll get into like the more, um, uh, you know, um, deep cuts as we go on. But we talked about, we did our preview a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. at union station Friday night. Uh, they showed who framed Roger rabbit. Oh, that's right. Yes. Also was Joanna Cassidy. Exactly. It's the second <laughs> Joanna Cassidy movie that I saw. Um, now I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. I don't know if you remember, Tyler, at one point on this podcast, I don't know if this was weeks ago or years ago, they all these episodes bleed together. Um, I said that my favorite Robert Zemeckis movie might be Cast Away. And mm-hmm. you said yours is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay. I'm with you now. Oh, yeah. I hadn't seen it in so long. It is, it's almost completely flawless. And I love Cast Away. There's only wrong. one yeah. line I don't like that feels very Zemeckis uh, is... Um, now I forget his name. The, 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 the cartoon cab, Tony, is that Benny. his name? Benny. Benny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, has a, makes some comment about the Brooklyn Dodgers and it's like, we're supposed to go, Oh, right. Cause they weren't in Los Angeles yet. Like that scene. I hate that kind of stuff. Mm. That kind of like Pablo Picasso. He'll never, Oh yeah. He'll never, never become, anything. Yeah, yeah. That I don't like that sort of stuff. It, that's the only sour note. If yeah. you know me and my, sticky relationship with Robert Zemeckis's films for there yeah. to only be one of those type of things in a yeah. movie is a big deal for me. Well, uh, and, and I think the reason is the reason why I like it so much and same reason why I've always liked Castaway, but this one even more so I think my problem with Zemeckis, even though he's often a great, uh, I guess I, I, I hesitate to even call him a stylist cause he's more of like a technocrat, but he's great at using that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't often feel a point of view in his films. Whereas who from Roger rabbit feels like it not only has a point of view, it actually feels like an angry movie. Yeah. Uh, especially seeing like it was the premise of seeing this at union station presented co-presented by Metro Los Angeles was like, this was like <laughs> a celebration of public transit in Los Angeles. And that storyline and the, and the, the idea of a sort of underrepresented, uh, minority being displaced for, no. um, for, for freeways and the, um, dismantling of the trolleys and some, something that actually happened in Los Angeles and actually happened in a lot of parts of America. A lot of big cities that you don't think of as being public transit friendly, friendly including my hometown of St. Louis, had trolley cars, like street cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a very common thing at one point in the early 20th century. Um, and it's, it's no more. And I, as an advocate of public transit, uh, I really got into the movie and how, uh, again, how it, it felt like this is going to sound, this is a little tongue in cheek here, but it felt kind of punk rock, the movie. Oh yeah. In the it doesn't, I it's mean, so angry. There's a lot of, I don't think it's a direct thing, but there's a lot of Joe Dante in that. Like it feels oh, right, very right. Looney Tunes back in action, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, and that's one of the things that I love about it is that 
and I don't think I liked this when I was a kid, this aspect of it, which is that there's, there's a lot more chaos than you would think for that type of movie. Um, well, cause and now I embrace it. The Toontown that he goes to is not a safe place. No, like it's, right, it's yeah. basically, it's like, you know, loony Daffy duck like that. Yeah. It's, it's the scary, but it's the Tex Avery world as right. a, it's not yeah. the Disney. He sees a couple Disney characters, but, but even like Mickey is like a dick to him. Yeah. Like he's on bugs, his side. Yeah. Like yeah. Tricking him into the spare tire instead of the, the parachute. Yeah. That's another movie that I, I was terrified by as a kid because of judge doom. Oh man. Well, I'll say this, the this eyes day, popping out, man, man to this day, nothing, not nothing, but like, one of the saddest things I think of in a movie is when Judge Doom uh, d- dips the shoe, mm-hmm. oh, the cartoon yeah. shoe. It's horrifying, and it's it's like eyes are like looking around, like it's yeah. like it wants help, but yep. nobody's going to help it, and it just slowly dies. Like it's horrible. It yeah. is. Yeah, I saw that when I was six. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I still have a memory of that. And just even if I never, even if I had never seen it since, that would be a memory that stuck with me: is the death of um, that shoe. Yeah, and you know what? What stuck with me that I didn't think of as a kid. Um, Judge Doom's speech about what the freeways will bring is, I'm going to say, my favorite moment in Christopher Wood's career now. Yeah, is, my God, it'll be beautiful. And yeah. he just and he says it with no irony. Yeah, but he also Towering knows billboards as far as the eye can see. As much as we know, like this is supposed to be awful, he actually paints a picture yeah. that makes it like makes you for a second go like, oh, that'd be nice. And also, that is kind of what LA traffic yeah. is like. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I, I just, I knew I liked the movie. I knew I was going to have a good time, yeah. but it, uh, reopened my eyes. Um, and it is not my favorite Zemeckis movie. I think a perfect double feature would be who from Roger rabbit and the big Lebowski. Yeah. Oh, sure. They're both PI movies. They're both throwbacks. They're both right. upended. Right. I think. And they're both kind of Raymond Chandler, you know? Yeah. One. And, and, uh, neither one as much as, as much as there's such a, a shambling quality to, uh, the big Lebowski, like that's, <clears throat> there's there's a sort of chaos to that in that you never really know what's going on now of course with Raymond Chandler you never know what's going on but something is going on yeah <laughs> with the big Lebowski there really isn't much you know and uh so yeah the two of them kind of uh, share that uh sort of a certainly a different tone but a, the same kind of anarchy mm-hmm. I think um all right um the next one I'm going to talk about is a movie that I know I know has distribution because it's actually getting a release this weekend, the weekend after it played at the festival. Um, Patrick Bryce's The Overnight, which is getting good reviews overall. I wish I could join in with them. I didn't like it as much as a lot of people did. And I think it comes down to this. A major plot point is that both Jason Schwartzman and um, Adam Scott get naked and both have very obviously fake penis. Like, not... They're not fake. They're supposed to be real in the movie. Right. But it's like a joke and even a character and plot point that Jason Schwartzman's character has a huge dick and Adam Scott's character has a abnormally small dick. Okay. And they're wearing these prosthetics that are so fake and so ugly looking. Like they clearly like clearly to mask. I'm going to get, I'm going to get in detail about these prosthetics Thank you. to mask whatever they were using to attach it to the actor yeah. they made they gave both of them just like huge mounds of pubic hair <laughs> and it looks so weird and uncomfortable and i hate to I, there are other things that i don't like about it like i think it's uh it plays its hand a little early and is a little obvious as far as where it's going but um when i think about the movie i think yeah those prosthetic dicks just really took me out of the movie 
It's like Ratatouille pulling that guy's hair. It just took me out of the movie. Yeah, only a lot more hair this time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What? By the way, did <laughs> is, you guys, is there a scene where they're manipulating the guys by pulling <laughs> no. copious amounts of pubic hair? No. Did you guys see prosthetic dicks at the Wiltern? They were great. <laughs> uh, what's next for you, Kyle? Uh, I saw a movie called uh, What Lola Wants. Um, She's going to get it. That's what I hear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> pretty insistent. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, directed by Rupert Glasson, who is a uh, an Australian director who wanted to make a movie in Los Angeles or around California and then did, which is a very interesting thing. Uh, it's a very small cast, and it's basically Wild at Heart. It's okay. like a new version of Wild at Heart. Uh, the ki- the kid that they got to uh, to be the 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 cool suave dude. So basically, this, the story is there's a girl named Lola. She gets what she wants. Um, but <laughs> and in Wild at Heart, it's Lula, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. The character's yeah. name. Yeah, in, yeah. Um, uh, she is the daughter of Emmy award winning actors. Um, she has faked her own kidnapping because she hates them. Uh, and so she's on the run and then in the desert, she's at a diner and then this awesome dude comes in very James Dean, but he looks like Nicholas cage, like a super young mm-hmm. Nicholas cage. Does he have the snakeskin jacket? Like in wild at heart? He doesn't, but, he, uh, he has the face <laughs> he basically <laughs> has a face like Nicholas cage. And, um, and she, he's so cool. She just go sits with him and insists on going with him or she'll call the cops and say that he kidnapped her basically. And it's this weird kind of like, like really heated and messed up love story while at the same time he's being chased by his mama who mm-hmm. is played by Dale Dickey, who you probably have seen. Oh, yeah. things. She's great. She's great in uh, winter's bone. Yeah. She, yes. And she plays a terrifying like crime boss who uh, he stole a million dollars from her and she is not happy about it. So she's like shooting at him from a distance and crying because it's her son. Like it's, 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 she is. And then the the movie opens before we know what's going on and she's driving in a van and she opens the back of the van and the two of those kids are in cages in the back of the van. So that, that comes into play later on in the movie. Um, uh, so she's fantastic in it. Um, and uh, and Charles S. Dutton plays a, a highway patrolman who stops them and knows what's going on. And there's a really great exchange between uh, the the kid and him. And then there's uh, there's one other actor whose name who I didn't recognize. Um, Robert Benton, I want to say that doesn't necessarily seem right to me. Robert Benton is a director, I believe. Yeah, it's I, I can't remember the man's last okay. name, but um, uh, he plays a, a guy they meet in the woods when they're looking for a car basically. And those are basically your only characters. And then there's the voice of the parents on, on the, uh, over the phone. And, uh, she contends through the whole thing that their, her parents are vampires. She doesn't want to go back there because they're vampires. And he's like, that's impossible. They're not vampires. Um, uh, but then there's like, they offer a really huge reward for her return. So he, he's like, I should probably return her. Right. Like, um, so it's, I, and the, the dialogue and it's very stylized. It's very kind of like that, that, southern sounding shakespeare stuff you oh know yeah what I, mean? I love that me too it's and everybody talks like that and it works for this movie it's it's a heightened level um uh and it's there's the threat of violence through the whole thing but it doesn't necessarily feel like a violent movie um it's really short it's only 77 minutes um i like that about a lot of la film fest me too movies me they're all very too. short what's it called again uh what lola wants and, and it's I, robert taylor robert taylor yes. he was one of the agents in the matrix was he okay yeah, yeah. not so, agent smith right one of the other ones. okay um 
Uh, Do you know what the distribution situation is for that one? I don't, but I, I, I feel I could easily see this getting picked okay. up. It also has a really awesome opening title, like credit sequence where you see it's all uh, animated, sort of like uh, animated um, comic book drawings, nice. like sort of uh, of what her life is like in this big house and they draw it to look like a big castle and her parents are drawn to look like vampire. It's really cool. Hmm. Um, and she's nuts. The, the actress who plays, um, Lola, um, uh, sorry, you just had it pulled up. Yeah. Uh, Sophie something. Yeah. Um, Sophie Lowe. Sophie Lowe, who's an Australian actress, but you wouldn't know it from her accent. She's really good. She, she is an insane person in the movie, but like the, the two of them really fit together really well. I thought. And, um, uh, yeah, it's it's called What Lola Wants. I, I really hope it gets picked up. I hope people see it. Um, it does sound like it like it would. Like there's yeah. enough elements there that it's like, oh, this will, this you know people will enjoy this. Yeah, and if you thought Dale Dickey was scary in some of her other roles, like yeah. she's she does some messed up stuff in this movie. I'm a big fan of that. Is the uh, and I know it's this is gonna sound. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it won't sound very positive, but that's actually a thing that I like that has been coming about. I think more in the last few years is the idea of not merely like a female antagonist that certainly is nothing new but the female crime boss yeah like not not like the 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 female assassin that the male crime boss calls in and is like really formidable but like this is the woman who like runs everything and what's more is you're against her yeah you want her to die you know another example i can think of is dread um, oh yeah also named mama in that movie oh yeah and so and it's yeah. just like um, because I think it would also be easy to have like a female crime boss and then they, they use that and like, Oh, isn't that unusual? Aren't you kind of on her side? I mean, she's in a male dominated world. Like, don't you kind of, Oh, you kinda at no point do you think she's not in control? Like yeah. she, she is the dominant one in this whole movie. And I, and I, I don't know. I, I like that. It's like, yeah. yes, that's right. Women can be just absolute monsters in these <laughs> movies as well. Like a, a female Noah Cross. Like that's what I yeah. want to see. Um, all right. Uh, moving on. I saw a documentary. This is going to be a big come down from that last one. This is a much more serious uh, uh-huh. issue. Um, it's called oriented. This is one of the ones that I think you probably couldn't find on IMDb. Uh, yeah. Um, and it is a documentary about gay Arab men living in Tel Aviv, Israel. And so, again, Again, there's this specificity, but that specificity causes a lot of really interesting friction in the idea of, well, the, um, the leftist part of Tel Aviv, Mm -hmm. which is the, going to be the most accepting of their being out and gay, uh, is Israeli and has their own sort of ideas about the world that they're, Arab slash Palestinian identification doesn't necessarily. So basically like the, the word oriented, uh, as a title has more, more than one meaning. Yeah. Like do these guys identify as, as gay men first or as Arabs first? Um, and it, it really, I mean, it's, it's something that we don't think about often enough that we tend to put, I, t- I said this in my review, we tend to put sort of minorities or oppressed groups in like one category. You yeah. Know? Uh, you know, uh, black people or women or gays or whatever, like they're in that category and then like we lump them in, but there's a lot of crossover. Uh, And it's something that we don't do with ourselves. Like when's the last time 
someone said, oh, hi, what's your name? You're like, I'm David. I'm white. I am also straight. <laughs> yeah. Like, we don't like we don't do that. But somehow we have we don't no have problem yeah. thinking of them that way. Yeah. Um, and I mean, also just the idea of, I think, the uh, this is something we see. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty far to the left myself, but it's something we see in this country too. the left sort of thinking they get to define what tolerance means or what acceptance Mm, means. I think it's their purview. Uh, and it's a really interesting movie and has some stuff that happens that it's like, uh, this, this couldn't have been better for the documentary. Meaning like the one guy who says early in the movie that he politically could never date an Israeli Jew. He will only date Arab men at a party he meets an israeli jew and ends up having uh a, like a long relationship with him over the course of the movie it's let like me, it couldn't be more perfect let me ask you this <coughs> because you mentioned that this was like a come down from the other one and obviously it sounds like it is everything but, about this seems like it could make for a really great comedy like a four lion <laughs> a four lions type of edgy comedy right you yeah, know what i mean and there is lots of human um comedy and stuff in 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 the movie because these are just people acting naturally mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's uh really good and then i'll move on to something that uh i didn't like as much now this will one. you i believe every year you uh, do mention that uh you mention your favorite the, you know best of the fest yeah and uh well, okay. le- less of the fest um oh right okay all right um yeah i have uh, okay inside out aside which okay. is my favorite movie i saw but uh we will get to my Okay, favorite and least favorite. This is not my least favorite, but this does it is... almost feel like cheating to say Inside Out? It's like, come yeah. on. <laughs> um, saw a movie, a Colombian movie called Las Malas Lenguas, which okay. Does this ever happen to you when you watch foreign movies where there will be it'll say the title in the original language, mm-hmm. and there will be a subtitle in English that it's like, look, I don't speak Spanish, but I know that's not that. Yes, yeah. uh-huh. Because Las Malas Lenguas means like <laughs> bad words or bad yeah. voices, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, and then it, the subtitle said sweet and vicious. And I was like, that doesn't, that, that doesn't mean sweet and vicious. <laughs> yeah. I took a few years of Spanish. Right. I mean, not enough to immediately know uh-huh. what that literally translates out to. But if you had said sweet and vicious, for example, it says, uh, loss. it starts with loss. Yeah. You know, there's gotta be a definite article in there <laughs> yeah. somewhere. And I, yeah. I don't see one. Um, and there's not a, there's not a, a Y there's not an E in there. For sweet e vicious, right? I don't know. Um, <laughs> sweet sweet would vicious. be well. Sweet would be dolce, right? Right. I don't know what the word for vicious is. Um. Uh, well, well, I guess malo. malo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be. So it'd be dolce e malo. Yeah. I mean, sweet that, that just means bad. Yes. Yeah. Sweet yeah. and bad. There's Spanish. There are. <laughs> oh, it's my least favorite artificial sweetener. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is a movie that I I, I hesitate. You know, I'm uh, I'm sorry to say that I don't like it because I like so much of what it has to say uh, as a social justice warrior. It's an uh, anti anti patriarchal movie. I've started getting questions, by the way, about how you're saying that. Like you seem to say it tongue firmly in cheek, but I am. But you still use it. Like, I, well, I, but I I am that. But I right. think uh, I just like the idea of it starting out as an insult and then i just gleefully and then you take it back i guess take it back but not in like a self-serious way i just think it's funny okay um (laughs) so it's essentially a young woman who's in university in columbia she's from a affluent family and has plans to go to brazil with her friend when she graduates and all this stuff she accidentally gets pregnant and this is a very you know catholic country Mm -hmm. and um 
basically once her friends and especially her boyfriend find out that she's pregnant, um, more and more decisions seem to be getting made for her before Mm -hmm. she is able to decide how she feels or what she wants to do about all this. Um, uh, and so from that point of view, I really like the, 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 the message, the way she sort of loses agency over herself, um, as people decide things for her and, 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 uh, just take take the control away but the movie becomes a little overly um what's 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 what i'm looking for uh just trite i guess or like sometimes overplayed you know in terms of melodrama and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and part of it is I, i i've talked on the podcast before i always hesitate to call out bad performances from actors. Like I feel like as an auteur theorist, my job as a critic is to tell you whether or not the director did a good job. That's like what it kind of what it boils down to. It does almost seem like, well, the director settled for this performance. So yeah. But, um, I do think that as the, as the stakes rise, the, the lead actress is less able to keep a grip on, Hmm. on, on the character. And it becomes a little silly when it should be at its most tragic. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't recommend Les Miles Linguist overall. Kyle? Um, uh, next one I'm going to talk about is a short that I saw, but it was 25 minutes long, and I oh. feel like that's long yeah. for a short. Yeah, I saw a couple of shorts that I'm not going to mention because neither of them were good. Okay, well, I'm going to mention this one because <laughs> David I... David Barium. Just, you know, this could be the end of it. <laughs> no one else has to suffer through these short films. <laughs> uh, this one was called Dog Bowl, which was uh, written and directed by Gordy Hoffman. Do you know know the name Gordy Hoffman? Uh, yeah, he's been on the show. He's a friend oh, of the show. Well, then I won't talk about it, and you should cut this out. <laughs> oh, you didn't I like did, it? I didn't like it. No, you oh, can boy. talk about okay. that. Um, it was a short movie uh, about this weird, weird woman who uh, is, she works at, in like a, a restaurant's uh, kitchen. She washes dishes, and uh, she just seems out of place in the world is basically mm-hmm. what it's about. And uh, she... Uh, like she's having sex with her boyfriend and she just slaps him and he's like, Hey, don't do that. And then she just keeps slapping him. And then they basically break up because of that. Like she's just like, sorry. And then like, he's like, all right. And then they just never see each other. again. She also has sex with a bunch of workers at the job for seemingly no reason. Um, uh, um, uh, and the the big thing happens when she she has a dog and uh, she sees a, a woman out with her dog and the dog has one of those uh, uh, service dog vests yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. and she steals that vest from this woman's dog and then I, puts I it on that you were going to say it had one of those cones. Oh, yeah. no. And that I wanted to step in here. And once again, remember the late, great uh, Harris Whittles, who had a fantastic joke. Uh-huh. He said, my dog has one of those cones on its head. Because it got into a fight with another dog, and the other dog put a cone on its head. <laughs> uh, oh, that's such a good joke. I yeah. love I, th- that is a genre of joke. That's <laughs> from a genre of joke that I love, where just the punchline is the thing that you've right. already heard. Yeah, but, uh, he has this other one where he goes, uh, "I went window shopping the other day. I bought a window." <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so she steals the dog vest. She puts it on the dog for a little while. Then she starts wearing it herself to work. Uh, and and it just it sort of gets weirder and weirder from there. But, like, she finds something in the dog vest that's cutting her dog. And then mm-hmm. she gets it checked out. And it's, like, 
Anyway, it ends with alien dogs. Um, oh, yeah. You didn't see that coming at all. Yeah. Neither did I. Uh, <laughs> wasn't a huge fan of it, I'll just say. But okay. um, it was interesting. And uh, <clears throat> it was weird. I mean, like, sometimes you just have to applaud, like, just sheer weirdness. <clears throat> yeah. Um, <clears throat> and also, and I mean, I saw, David and I saw uh, Love, Liza. Which was written by Gordy, yeah. right? And that also has a quality. I, certainly, it's he did not direct it, um, and maybe <laughs> makes a difference. But uh, it's about kind of a social mis- misfit who's had some, like, certainly some tragedy in his life, and he gets addicted to you know huffing uh, like glue for um, the glue that model you use for model airplanes and uh-huh. stuff. And so, um, <clears throat> and so, like. If you look at it a certain way, and the fact that that is viewed as comedic instead of inherently tragic, I think that's something that Gordy likes to do is just find sort of misfits and then just give them a lot of weird stuff to do and uh, to varying levels of effectiveness, it sounds like. I, I really like Love, Liza, and maybe maybe I would enjoy this as well because it sounds like he's just like, I'm going to do whatever comes to mind. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, um, uh, talking dogs, always funny. So... <laughs> I mean, there was there's stuff to like, but I just feel like overall it didn't come together. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't understand the point he was trying to make, but okay. maybe the point was just weird. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. You guys ready? Yes. Sure. Worst of fest. We're oh boy, oh, already. I feel bad. Okay. Um, it's called the girl in the book. Uh, fans of ABC's Revenge will know the lead actress uh, Emily Van Camp. It also stars Michael Nyquist. The uh, name sounds familiar. Yeah, uh, he was. Daniel Craig's role in the original Girl with the Dragon oh, okay. Tattoo. He's also the... Um, He's the bad guy in uh, John Wick. John Wick, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I still haven't seen. Oh, man. You gotta see it. I know. It's so great. Um, this one, not as good. Uh, it's... <laughs> Hardly uh, anyone gets shot in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a story that takes place at two timelines, one present day, one 15 years ago. Emily Van Camp is uh, the assistant to a book publisher... And, uh, there's this, is there, book. A, is there a lake house involved? There's not a lake house. Okay. Um, there's a book coming out or not coming out. There's a book that came out 15 years ago. That was a huge success. It's getting a re-release. Now she's being assigned to help publicize, um, and edit this re-release version. But it turns out she knows and doesn't <laughs> want to talk to the, um, the author. Okay. Uh, and then we see the flashback to 15 years ago where we find out, Oh, the girl in the book, that's the name of the movie. Oh, got it. Uh, but the, the, the character in the book is modeled after this, the young Emily Van Camp, who was sexually molested by uh. the author, Michael Nyquist. Um, heavy shit. Yeah. Um, also, they get, I had to look it up because it was so, I was so uncomfortable after the movie. The actress who plays the young Emily Van Camp is a, an adult woman, even though she looks like she's 14. And so there are, like it gets kind of explicit with like Michael Nyquist like kissing her and like grabbing her chest and stuff like that. Ugh. And during the movie, I was like, oh, like wow, is this okay?" Uh, and then I looked at it afterwards, and was like, "Oh, she was twenty two years old or whatever." Um, anyway, but it, it is weird when you think like you don't actually as as dis, as like disgusting as, as like the content of some. Uh, movies and TV shows are, and I mean, like, not necessarily the way it's treated, but just the things that characters do. That's actually not a thing you see very much. Like, you don't see a molestation because, well, we can't have somebody doing that right. to the actual actor. And also, if you get a situation like this, it's just like, it's going to be so disturbing, as it should be. Yeah. But after a while, it's like, it might, 
I feel like you can't help but be sort of taken out of the movie when you start yeah, thinking, I'm how sorry. is this possible? Yeah, who were her parents? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, it's sort of like last year. I don't know if you remember. I was telling you guys about that. Uh, I want to say it was an Icelandic movie about the horses. Do you remember? I was t- yeah, remember yeah. that? Uh, and tons of horses get killed in that movie, and it looks really real. And I was like uh, upset during the movie. Right. And then at the end, it said, we proudly say no horses were See, but they should say like they should the, say it at the beginning Amores Peros yeah. does that yeah absolutely says in the beginning that no dogs were hurt and I st- I feel like the girl in the book should have a disclaimer like yeah. disclaimer at the beginning no one know, in this movie the young Alice is played by a 22 year old woman I know she looks really young thank you the producer well, what does that say about <laughs> Emily Van Camp who I think is only like 27 uh, she looks much older <laughs> well she's I mean it takes place 15 years later she's supposed to be no I know but she's 29. in real life not that much older than the other girl oh, right, right, 15 right. years yeah, earlier yeah. which one does it uh, speak ill of that's what we need to <laughs> figure out um the one that looks like you know a but 13 year old the problem with the movie is that it it has third act problems like a lot of movies do uh in which like maria Cohn, the writer seemed to the way she gets out of her story is to just pivot into a really bad romantic comedy all of a sudden oh. where like Emily Van Camp sort of finds herself again and is redeemed through this relationship with the guy played by um, an actor named David Call, whom I'm a fan of. He was the, uh, I hesitate to say, love interest in Tiny Furniture, but the sexual interest in Tiny mm-hmm. Furniture. I don't know if you know, either of you saw Tiny Furniture. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also a recurring character on Gossip Girl, which is where I first saw him. I like him, and uh, if the movie does anything interesting, it's the fact that it gender swaps the all the bad shit we see in romantic comedies oh, good. where she like he's the character who like th- wait this woman's no good for him why is he just going along with this mm-hmm. which usually is the woman's role in a romantic comedy and she stalks him in a way that is supposed to that eventually wins him over again the kind of thing you see in romantic comedy all the time where the like charming young men display behavior that in real life would be like psychopathic almost yeah. uh but she literally like shows up at his apartment and then like starts a blog about him and like this shit wins him over and this is a movie that like this is after that, the molestation after the, most, yeah. like, the graphic molestation it's this is why i'm calling it worst of fest best you know well a well-intentioned movie but oof uh, uh my friend mike saw that one um and also had nothing but horrible things to say about it. <laughs> he saw, I think, something like 14 or 15 movies at this fest, and he liked four or five of them. Oh, which I had I, better luck. Yeah. I, I feel like that's a... Although he made the mistake of seeing a lot of L.A. Muse films, uh, and across the board, he's like, I'm just not seeing L.A. Muse anymore, because they're yeah. all about whiny white people <laughs> who yeah, live in for, L.A. and are... Yeah. Yeah. For the uninitiated, this was new last year, I think. Yeah, the, it was new last year, yeah. The, uh, it's a category, because they have... Like, you know, domestic and foreign fiction yeah. and dramatic competition. Those are the four main. But then there's like Zeitgeist, Zeitgeist and Gala and Buzz and, and Nightfall and Nightfall. Oh, Nightfall. I didn't see any of the Nightfall ones I, this year I, because I, I was one. just too tired. Which be my next one. I didn't want to stay to the. Uh, but anyway, um, and then L.A. Muse, which is movies that are that roughly have to do with Los Angeles. Yeah, we're shotting around. And, and they're all nice if, they, if one, they'd shown like and if like entrance there, like that would have been fun. That's right. A, that's an L.A. But movie. Yeah, they're new. These are newer yeah. movies. But last yeah, my, I think my worst of fest last year was Echo Park, which was a. And that's LA the Muse thing. One. It's all people. They're all yeah. young, like 30 something white people who live on the east side who have the worst lives ever. <laughs> uh, well, you know, what? when we get to my L.A. Muse one that I saw this year, I actually really like. OK, um, but that's not what I'm going to talk about now. Right now, I'm going to talk about a delightful documentary 
called uh, with a delightful name. It's called the the Babushkas of Chernobyl. I saw that as well. That's okay, one of my ones. Let's yeah, knock let's, this out right let's now. Let's do it. Yeah, it's so great. I, I loved it absolutely. Uh, I saw that last night. That was the last thing I saw. Okay, uh, here's what it's about. Um, y'all know what Chernobyl is. It was uh, <laughs> where that reactor exploded, and there's so there's a thirty kilometer circle around mm-hmm. the reactor number four that is called the exclusion zone. Yep. The, the 10 mile circle has been raised. Nobody lives there anymore. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's there, but there's a 30 mile zone that everyone was evacuated from within days. Uh, I think mm-hmm. in 1986 of the, uh, of the explosion and some people, they were told you're not going back. This is not, uh, inhabitable anymore. And some people, uh, a lot of them, uh, I guess somewhat older women said, no, this is where my, home is and has been since before the plant or whatever i'm going back and so they snuck back in and the government essentially lets them because as the one scientist said they're assuming that old age will kill them before the radiation does yeah and so you've got these it's it said there's less than 100 people living fewer than 100 would be more grammatically correct fewer (laughs) than 100 people living in the exclusion zone almost all of them are women yeah, uh, ninety percent women. Yeah, and they're mo- and a lot of, uh, the ones we see are pretty much all in the eighty to ninety year old range. They're farming the land, they're fishing the land, they're living in this in- incredibly radiated land. What, what about the documentarians? Like, aren't they worried? Well, see, that's that's the thing. Um, okay. They're because uh, there are um, government people who come and visit them and things like that, and they're you know. Uh, it's it's rude not to take food or drink when when offered like it's mm-hmm. rude you can't do yeah. that so there's like and they get tested and the documentarians themselves were these two women um what was Anne shoot uh, I haven't written down okay it's, the last names are Bogart and Morris yeah. I think it's Anne and Holly that's I right remember which one is I which. think it's Anne Bogart and Holly Morris okay. but um uh they got checked every night okay. to see if they were okay and they were fine but but they have I mean the as because it is as it goes out it's less radiated because they have scientists who live there two weeks out of every month yes within the radiation zone there's a thing called Chernobyl City yep which I think I could tell were, were those buildings built after the explosion where these where these people live I weeks? would imagine so yeah so there are there are people in this exclusion zone all the time yeah. But, um, uh, but there, but then there, and, there are people walking around with little like Geiger counters and there are hot spots and things like that. And the, there's interest. I mean, cause not only do we just see these women, but you also see the scientists and then there's, you know, someone who goes around and checks, you know, mushrooms grow way out here. The land is fine, but the mushrooms are not because mm-hmm. they get blown from, you know, spores oh, yeah. from inside yeah. and stuff like that. That type of stuff is really fascinating, but there's interesting stuff in there. Like, uh, you know, those women go get checked out all the time and, by and large, the people who have gone back into the zone and lived live way longer than the people who stayed out. So nuclear radiation is good for you. No, <laughs> I don't think that's, that's, what what that's what I'm getting from this. But I think quality of life. Yes. Quality. Oh, I see. To them, this is quality of life. But also, there is one part where because these women are all delightful. They're like the almost like stereotypical babushkas, like whatever you think of as being like tough, but sweet, like old yeah. broads. I mean, they wear big they're, boots and they wear dresses and big like coats scarves, and, the scarves, yeah, scarves. and they just kind of walk like that. <laughs> they're delightful. <laughs> but there's them. one, like one of the scientists is having an enjoyable little conversation while the other one just sort of surreptitiously takes a Geiger counter reading of this woman. And then they share a look where he's like, he says some number. It was like five sixty. Yeah, which, which I, don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means, but they share a look like ooh. And you hear the director say like, "Do you want to talk about that on camera?" And he was like, "I don't want to talk about that on camera." So these women are not like they're 
they're radiated, yeah. but they're still alive for the time being. I've got a dumb question. The Geiger counter, is that the thing that makes the noise? Yes. Yeah. I beep, love beep, that beep, noise. Beep. Oh, no, but no, it didn't. I know what you're thinking oh. of. They didn't have, they had ones that beep. They didn't oh. have that clicking. I want, I, like I want the, the little, like the static the, thing. The aliens from Signs. That's the one that yeah, you want. Yeah, that's what yeah. I want. Um, but, so this all sounds, uh, I mean, like it's very serious, but mostly it's just these women being delightful and fun. Yeah. Um, the one, uh, the star, the oldest one, I think, is probably the star of the movie. She gives a tour of her garden. She has this garden outside her house where she, in the exclusion zone, I'm still like, it's still crazy to me. It's like growing all the food that she eats. She gives a little tour of her garden, and then she shuts the gate and you hear her say, now stay out. Um, <laughs> she's the same one who, because um, they drink vodka all the time. Yep. Uh, she's the same one who her toast is goodbye brains. See you tomorrow. And then like <laughs> throws back a shot of vodka. And she, she's like the oldest. She's like 95 years old. Yeah. Yeah. It's and they're and there's, you know, they sing and all this stuff. They're just a really awesome, plucky group of women. And like, yeah. they, you know, the, the talk back, that's the other thing I really love about LA film buzz, which is not, just LA film fest who does this, but it brings the filmmakers up and you actually get to talk to them and you know, they actually have people up there who are good at doing Q and A's. Yeah. Um, that's good. Um, but they were talking that, um, because of the filming, they actually, because these women live, there's a hundred women in a 30 kilometer radius basically. Mm -hmm. So like, um, they, they were able to bring a bus around and like bring them all together. And these were women who hadn't seen each other in years, even though they live within the same, you know, little stretch. Um, and so they got to like reminisce and all this stuff, which I think is really mm -hmm. nice. They, oh, they only get to go. There's one church service a year for Easter. That's it. And like, um, their kids or whatever can come in, but the younger kids can't come in because it affects young kids way more than it does mm -hmm. anybody else. Yeah. So it's stuff like that that I think is really fascinating, but these women don't care. That's the best thing. They're just like, I'm just living my life, man. That, yeah. That does sound like a lot of fun because, well, in, in, in a number of ways, one is just these characters. Um, and I know they're not officially characters, but they're characters. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then also learning about something that I guess it goes that specificity thing again. Like this is a, you know, radiation is a big deal. Like there are nuclear power plants and stuff like that. It's a thing that can conceivably happen. Uh, and we don't really, th and has happened and we don't really think about it. What do you think of? Okay. Well, radiation. Okay. That's bad. You'll die. That's the end of it. And what I like about this is it actually gives you interesting facts about this thing. And it's, and you almost, and in a way I think we almost feel like, yeah, we, we've got the facts. You die. Yeah. That's the only one you need. Right. <laughs> I mean, it basically, and, uh, and I don't know. It sounds like it, it's, do, do you know if there's going to be any distribution for this? Cause it I, sounds I like a lot is. of fun. I feel like it could show up on, yeah. on, uh, you know, on HBO or something like yeah, that. Yeah. I feel like it's not out of the realm of possibility. Okay. Um, the other thing we haven't talked about before we move on to your next thing, the other, uh, sort of subplot, I guess, of the film is that there are these like young men, right. Who were born, oh, born yeah. after the, the reactor exploded to, to them. It's sort of a abstract part of history mm -hmm. who call themselves stalkers based after, based on some popular yes, they video made game. some stupid video game stalkers of Chernobyl where you basically run around inside. Chernobyl. So now there's these young, like they're probably in their late teens, early twenties, yeah. these guys who sneak into the exclusion zone and like take cameras and explore and like drink the water, drink the water, like stupid idiots and yeah, apples off the tree there because they don't, it doesn't mean anything to them, but it ends up because there are some things like, I don't think the documentarians went inside the 10 kilometer zone at all, but these guys did. And so there's some footage that they've posted on YouTube, including the, um, 
what they call the ghost city of yeah. Pripyat, I think was the bigger city where everyone who worked at the plants lived. Um, and there's a part where the two guys, two, uh, these young men go in, up to the top of this apartment building. Um, and you, and so you see all of what Pripyat looks like now, which is like, you can still see the tallest buildings, but trees have just grown up in between hmm. everything. It is like eerily beautiful, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when one of the guys said, this is a post-apocalyptic romance, that's what he says. There's this feeling of like, dude, like you're standing at the top of like the, these the places that represent the ruination of hundreds of thousands of lives. Yeah. Maybe romance isn't the right word here. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Uh, it does. Yeah. That's uh, it. it I hope I hope people get a chance to see it. Uh, yeah. What's next for you? Uh, I saw a movie. The one movie I saw in the Nightfall category uh, was called Crumbs. And it is speaking of post-apocalypse. It is a post-apocalyptic movie that was uh, directed by a, uh, a, a Spanish director in Ethiopia, starring Ethiopian people. Nice. Um, and it is. Uh, he said before the film that he was uh, basing it on or, you know, kind of. He called uh, uh, Boonwell his friend, so you can kind of see how how kind of strange it is. And and the uh, uh, the director's name is uh, Miguel Lonzo, and it's this woman and this guy. And the guy is the actual actor is 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 a is a hunchback. He's like a deformed person, but he goes off on these quests, like you know, to go find stuff. And the stuff that they find are all like toys. And it is supposed to take place, you know, hundreds of years after mm-hmm. the world has ended. And like f- for he wears like a magic medallion, which is a Donatello figure, like it's stuff <laughs> like that. And it's all like kind of old pop culture. And then uh, all these people will come by and steal things from him and then try to go sell it to this pawn shop guy who, who gives them the history of the thing. And they always show the, the globe and then the thing that they're selling in space kind of just floating around while he's telling them about it. And then they always ask for way more money than he's prepared to give them. And like, it's, it, it goes like that for a while. And then the whole weird thing is she's in a bowling alley and she can look into the, um, the ball return and she can see an old kind of very thin Ethiopian guy dressed like Santa Claus. And he is Santa Claus and he's got a bunch of toys. And then the guy is trying to go find Santa Claus. And then he does. And Santa Claus doesn't want to give him anything. <laughs> and then so he takes off his shirt and he's wearing a Superman costume. <laughs> and he's like, don't you understand? I'm Superman. And then Santa Claus beats him up. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very strange film. Oh, and they, they worship, they like pray and they pray to a picture of Michael Jordan. <laughs> Because <laughs> they're just, it's just, there's crumbs. These are the people right. who didn't die. And yeah. so they don't know what any of this is. And like <laughs> she said, she on his quest, like bestows upon him an ancient sword. And it's one of those like stores you buy or swords you buy at uh, like a dollar store. Right. And so like when a guy's coming up on horseback, he like quickly undoes the, uh, the twisty tie thing on the back <laughs> to try to, <laughs> it's, it's cute. It's funny, but it's super weird. That sounds great. That's a lot of laughter. Yeah. And then there's, there's a spaceship up and just hovering up there and you don't know why it's there. Hmm. Okay. Once again, I'm going to bring things down um, with a documentary. Um, now this is my, the good LA muse film that I saw. Okay. Um, and it is called no mas babies, which means no more babies. Got it. Um, (laughs) sounds like, (laughs) or young and the restless or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
which sounds like a fun title to me. I mean, I don't like babies very much, but this is not a fun movie. <laughs> I don't like babies very much. <laughs> I'm not a fan, really, but this is not a fun movie. This is a true story that um, at the Los Angeles County USC hospital in the 60s and early 70s, a lot of women, a lot of Latina women were going in to give birth, and by the time they left, they had been sterilized, had their tubes tied or something um, without realizing that they had agreed to anything. This happened a lot, and there was a lawsuit in the 70s. It was a big thing. Why well, I'm sorry. You you're, can continue. You'll probably answer my question. No, I, that's the thing. If you're trying to pin down why exactly this happened, the, there was never any policy in place. There was there were sort of general fear, fears about overpopulation in the early 70s. All right. And the movie sort of suggests maybe some unexamined, unacknowledged racism and classism sure. led to these Latina women being targeted. Or maybe the fact that culturally they have more babies, so it's seen as like, well, this woman has six kids already. Yeah, she's done. Uh, yeah, and then, but they would present them with the the option, often to women who didn't speak English, often in the middle of labor. So a lot of these women either didn't realize that what they had signed or consented to um, was what it was. Like, I think one woman says that her mother thought that when she had the word sterilization translated to her, she thought it meant like a disinfecting or right, something, yeah, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, and then there were, there were women who, when there was the lawsuit, who years later didn't realize what had happened to them until the lawyer came and said, here, I have, we got your medical records. We're pressing this lawsuit. You were sterilized. And these women didn't, had no idea. Um, and, uh, it just sort of from the distance of now tells this story of this, uh, the, these events and the lawsuit that, that happened, which, um, did not result in any prosecutions or anything, but, um, did, change things because again there was nothing there was no official policy in place i mean one of the nurses says she overheard some doctors talking about about this but there was never anything that said we're going to do this to latina women there was nothing to pin down it just the the movie is like sort of heartbreaking and frustrating that in that way um because it kind of uh, i guess it illustrates the way that um to repeat myself institutionalized racism and classism um, cause this was happening to poor Latino women, not just right. Latino, like poor people in particular. And the movie talks about, like, this is about this one case, but the movie t- like mentions cases in the deep South of, uh, of this happening to black people. And even in the Appalachians of this happening to, to poor, uh, rural whites, um, that this sort of thing has happened, um, from like the 1920s, and 1970s in America, it happened a lot more than we realize or talk about. Yeah. I don't think it, it even occurred to me as a thing that was yeah. feasible. Um, so it's a pretty heartbreaking movie. And it also, um, because it's the LA muse takes place in LA. A lot of people were there. The woman next to me was, um, one of the children of a woman who had been sterilized. Her mom had had three kids and then was sterilized. Yeah. And, uh, wow. it was, um, yeah, pretty moving stuff, but like nothing, uh, I, I always feel like I, whenever I repeat myself from my review, I have to like call it out. But, um, I, even knowing what the premise is the first time you see a woman, like an interview with a woman modern day, and then the Chiron or whatever comes up that says so-and-so sterilized age 23, it's a gut punch to think yeah. that a woman, uh, especially now because, uh, people tend to have babies later, like 20, yeah, like, yeah, to be absolutely. sterilized at 23 when there's nothing medically wrong 
with you when you don't know you made this decision. And also um, to tie it into what I said about oriented and the idea of this sort of leaders of a leftist cause being able to decide things, these women um, and the, and the lawyer talk about at the time there was a sort of Chicano rights movement going on that was male dominated so much they couldn't really find any traction with them. They Mm. couldn't like find this taken seriously. And then there was the feminist movement going on and they couldn't find traction with them either because the feminists thought a woman, because basically what these women were advocating for was a three day waiting period. So that this, because these things were happening during labor, like yeah, yeah. This woman, people need to understand what they're signing. They need three days to understand The feminists saw that as no women have the right to decide what they want for their bodies. If they want to be sterilized, they shouldn't have to wait three days, which is something you hear in the abortion debate now. Sure. Um, and that's, uh, that, that's a perfectly reasonable argument unless you're taking into consideration the fact that these women don't speak English, that yeah. there is, there are reasons other than, you know, moralizing and if, and it, to make a person wait three days. And if it's in the middle of labor, you're <laughs> right. hardly yeah. Yeah. coherent. Um, and so it sort of, um, yeah, that's, that's another thing that was really frustrating about it, that the, the, these movements that you would think would be sympathetic, they couldn't find, and they couldn't find traction. And that's maybe part of the reason why we don't know about this story. People, I mean, I guess if I, if we were on at the time, we would have seen it in the news, but it, it doesn't stick around like this is 40 years later and there's not like there's it's not like there's new information that's come to light it's just a sort of recap of this story because no one our age or younger knows it it seems so horrendously un-american like it seems right. like soviet communism or in some cases chinese communism yeah, this idea yeah. of like like well we're worried about this big thing we're worried about overpopulation and we uh, we need to make sure that doesn't happen. So let's make an executive decision that we're going to do this. And this, in yes, it's a sneaky way, but it's for a good cause, right. and it's yeah. for and it's people who frankly aren't probably aren't making a whole lot of contribution to society anyway. So win win for all of us. Look, it's an unfortunate reality, but we got to do it. You know, <laughs> hey, you it, know what? You're starting to convince me. It's, oh boy, <laughs> that was not my intention. <laughs> Damn, my uh, acting skills. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that was the good L.A. Muse film. Um, that sounds was, good. That sounds really good. Yeah. That doesn't sound like it's about whiny white people at all. No, <laughs> there's almost no white people in the movie well, except for... I mean, I guess us. Uh, we're whining about it now. Yeah. <laughs> the, but no, there's, the, there's the, the doctors who were named in the lawsuit, and then there's the one doctor who was the, like, whistleblower who kind of led to all of this. Yeah. Um, he's, a, he's a nice film. Oh, really? The other guys didn't want to talk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... And then I also saw a movie that I've already talked about in the movie journal because I got to see it before the festival. It definitely has distribution through Sony Pictures Classics. It's Ken Loach's newest film, Jimmy's Hall. Um, did you see it? I didn't, but I really want to see it. Uh, it's it's good, uh, especially you know if you like Ken Loach. It's not his most daring movie. It's not like Kess or Sweet Sixteen, which are these like sort of gritty social realist type movies. It's more uh, of a um, it's more traditional and classical. And it's a true story of a communist organizer who was deported from Ireland, his country of his native country without any trial or anything whatsoever, which is, uh, um, that's, it's not as unfathomable as people being, uh, sterilized against their will, but it still seems, um, wrong to be able to deport someone from their own country without, without any trial at all. Um, that, 
that's that's the 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 thrust of the film. I don't want to spend too much time on it because we talked about the movie journal. Yeah, uh, well, and it's yeah. also 1930s Ireland. Yeah, so there was a lot of unrest there. And anyway. that, yeah, well, that's the other thing that's interesting about it is you know normally when you think of these stories about communist organizers, you think of like like uh, like Matawan or Matewan. I don't remember how you say that movie, where it's against it's the organizers against the company you know yeah. against the capitalist force but this is specifically the organizers against the church because this hall that he built is teaching classes and holding social events which at that time and as catholic a country as as ireland those things were the purview of the church essentially only especially in small town yeah in a small town like this and so it's uh communists versus catholics interesting <laughs> what's next for you right in line with what we're talking about I saw a movie called Chuck Norris versus communism, oh. <laughs> uh, which I literally picked because it was called that. Yeah. And it was playing when I could go see it. I knew nothing about it. Uh-huh. I didn't know it was a documentary because um, it was in buzz. So I just, I, you know, you never really know what it's about. Um, this was such a great movie. Um, and it was a surprise. Oh, so you go and sit down and basically at the beginning of every screening, for those of you who don't know, uh, an organizer, a programmer, somebody from the fest comes out and introduces it. Usually will introduce the filmmaker. Roya Rastegar. Yeah. For one. Yeah. Greatest think, name of all time. Yeah, wait, I like her name. Wait, what? Roya Rastegar is, uh, one yeah, but of what Hogwarts class did she teach? <laughs> <laughs> Film. Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, she, she introduced a bunch of mine and I just, uh, I loved her name. Um, and those are usually the people who do the, the Q and a afterwards. Um, so we sit down for this one. Uh, the lights are off and then, you know, the, the spotlight comes up and out walks Elvis Mitchell. And I was like, hmm. this is like his, this is his thing. It's film independent. Like, right. And, uh, he's followed out there by Brett Ratner. I was like, what am I watching? <laughs> Brett Ratner's company rat pack, which does specifically documentaries, uh, produced this Romanian documentary about the illegal, you know why he likes documentaries? No rehearsal. Yep. <laughs> well, I have a story about him post the film in a oh, moment, okay. but um, <laughs> he uh, uh, it's about the Romanian, the uh, illegal uh, VHS trade of American films in Romania. And like people would buy them that, you know, VHS players were very hard to get in, in, you know, the early eighties. And uh, uh, so it was basically illegal and they would bring everyone in their kind of compound building, you know, a uh, uh, high rise tenements, or whatever they would just tell everybody and they would charge admission. And basically 20 people would sit on the floor or wherever and watch these American movies. And, it, uh, the, this guy, Zomfir was his name who was doing all this. Um, he got a woman who worked for the communist government as a translator to come in after work and basically sit and watch films and translate them as she went. So basically when you, when these people watched American movies, you could still hear the, the real dialogue. And then you would just hear this woman's voice translating everybody's voice as she went. And her name was, uh, arena Nistor. And she became a celebrity because everyone was like, she did almost all the movies. And then when they, when Zomfir brought in a new guy to do, you know, cause the, the call for it was so much mm-hmm. people thought these were bootlegs. Like, I don't want this. Where's, <laughs> where's arena Nistor? I want to hear her. And now she's a very prominent Romanian film critic. And so she was there at the screening, oh, awesome. which was great. Yeah. And so the, the movie is shot. Uh, so you interviews a bunch of people who just saw these movies. Like they're just people. And then you hear her talk, you hear Zomfir talk and you hear another guy who was uh, a translator talk and you don't see them, but there are reenactments of all this stuff. And it was really like, like the government was 
you know, she would sit there and she would translate American things or, or anything foreign uh, for the guy who would go, we have to cut this, we have to cut this, we have to cut this. Like there were cartoons, children's cartoons and a mouse is walking around. Uh, it's, it's a Russian cartoon or something like that. A mouse is walking around with a red balloon, a blue balloon and a yellow balloon. And he's like, we have to cut this out because those are the colors of the Romanian flag. And it'll look like that we're a, the Russian CS is a joke. So we have to cut this out. And like, it's ridiculous, all wow. this stuff. But she was, you know, she was born in Paris. Like she was a very well-learned person. And uh, so she would like, she says in the movie, like that was, she would go and have this horrible job um, working for a regime that she didn't believe in. And then she would just go and watch these movies. And that was her life. Like she, she would do like sometimes four to six movies a day. She would just sit and watch whatever Chuck Norris. I mean, it's called Chuck Norris versus communism because like a lot of these were just crappy action movies, a lot of Canon movies, you know, a lot of easy movies to get. Um, but she would just sit and, you know, listen to what they were saying. And there's a whole part where they talk about how she wouldn't swear. Like (laughs) she would always, like they would hear the word motherfucker, Mm -hmm. but her translation of it would be go to hell or something like that. (laughs) Like she just wouldn't say it or like during sex scenes, she would just kind of not say anything. And like, they kind of like learned it's really funny, but, um, but it's also really interesting. And it also comes across as sort of like, cause the secret police were like out to get them. And like, she worked in a government building. And at a certain point, like, um, she got in an elevator and a high ranking official, like got in the elevator too. And was like, I heard you in a movie last night arena. And then just got off the elevator. And so she was like scared for months because this guy just said that he heard her. And she's a very, uh, kind of high pitched voice, very, you know, easily recognizable right. voice. Um, it was just a fascinating documentary. It was produced, um, by, like I said, Rad pack, but also for HBO Romania. So I really hope it gets released on HBO over here. Yeah. I feel like with that kind of, push behind yeah. it i feel like it probably will yeah and so and it was just great that she was there too um yeah and yeah it was it's i it was the most surprised that i was watching a movie um and i, I just thought it was a great movie so after the anyway after the screening uh elvis was supposed to come out and do but he was late doing he, he ran he left the building he let elvis <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> of course he did um he came in at a certain point he was out of breath or whatever but so brett rotner came down and started the Q and a himself. And, uh, so there are, there's a spotlight on people and he kept going, can we get, can we get the spotlight off? I don't want the spotlight on it's, it's hurting my eyes. And then they would turn it down and he, and, and then the, the woman would be like, well, no, nobody can see you now. And he's like, no, they can see me just fine. And the guy was, and people in the back were like, no, we can't. And he was like, no, they're kidding. And like, <laughs> and so it would turn off and he's like, can we just have the house lights up? Can we just turn it? Like, it was just like for five minutes before he actually got to talking about <sighs> anything. It was, because my friend Mike was sitting next to me, uh, Mike who writes for a Boulder Weekly. I would just like to plug him if you live in Colorado. Um, he he was like, I don't know how to feel about this movie going in because we're sitting here listening to it being introduced by the death of cinema, <laughs> which is what he kept calling Brett Ratner. But he really liked the movie too. But like, it's yeah, we've decided that Brett Ratner clearly loves movies. Mm-hmm. He clearly loves documentaries. He clearly loves something about movies, but he does not know how to express that nor <laughs> replicate it. <laughs> I don't know. I am. I hate to do this, but I liked Hercules and I liked tower heist. You know what? I kind of did too. <laughs> I thought, well, Hercules was real stupid, but like I still enjoyed it. Right. Tower heist was, was actually pretty good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of with you on those two. So he's maturing. Apparently. I don't know if yeah. he is. <laughs> he, I mean, he whined about a spotlight. Yeah. I guess for no reason at all. Uh, it was hurting his eyes, hurting his eyes. Sure. 
nobody else complained about it. No, the, the, those they're kidding. <laughs> they're kidding, oh, okay. and they're not complaining. Yeah. Okay. Best of fest. Oh, here we go. And I hate to rub it in, Kyle, because I know you didn't make it to this one. But a German film called Victoria. I really wanted to, but it's didn't. Now, if you think that too late and it's five 20 minute shots are uh, impressive. Victoria is one single unbroken 134 minute tape. Oh, <laughs> that's it, like double the, the time of Russian arc or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, with credits. The movie runs like I think an even two twenty, but it's two hours and 14 minutes completely unbroken oh my gosh um and it's uh there's a victoria is a lead character she's a spanish young spanish woman living in berlin um she's out at a club she uh she decides to go home and get a couple hours sleep because clubs they open very late in berlin so she leaves a little after 4 a.m to go get a couple hours sleep before she has to open the cafe where she works on her way back or on her way out of the club she meets some guys and start sort of flirting with her she decides to hang out have a drink hang out a little bit more and then it turns out one of them owes a favor to this local gangster and uh, he's called in the favor that morning and they have to go rob a bank and one of the guys who's supposed to come with them is too drunk to go and so she volunteers not his force but volunteers to go help these guys rob a bank at uh 5 30 in the morning yeah 6 15 in the morning or whatever oh man um and uh it and there's goes. the ticking clock because she's got to open that store or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it goes Stakes. kind of, uh, it, it doesn't go all that well, oh, you can my. imagine. But, um, I mean, talk about a movie that is so much more than its gimmick. It's not even a gimmick because the that feel just uh, of never looking away, never having any relief from this, it puts you so in the mindset of it. And the length of it gives you a lot. There's a lot of movie before it turns into a bank robbery movie. So there's a lot of getting to know this character and getting to become invested into her flirtation with one of the guys in this group. So it's a very tender movie. And I mean, for about, I would say, um, an hour of its uh, two hours and 20 minutes, it's not a genre movie at all. It's just these they're drinking and talking and getting to know one another. And she plays the piano at one part at one point. It's very beautiful. Uh, and then it just gets so fucking intense. It feels like the movie I compared it to over and over again in my review to the point where I was like, I know I'm, I'm belaboring this at this point, but it feels like gravity in that hmm. gravity used those long takes to not give you a break the way the character doesn't. And so it becomes there. Are t- you'll notice like I take notes when I watch movies, there are very few notes for Victoria, this is not it, but oh, okay. uh, because there were parts when I was just holding my, like gripping my notebook because it's so tense Wow! Uh, as, as it goes on. Um, uh, it's, uh, it, and it's unlike gravity, which I think is a really impressive uh, achievement, technically pacing wise. Um, but a movie that I actually don't like, I feel, I don't know if you guys agree. I'm assuming you both saw gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of fleeting like i don't really have when i think about gravity now i can kind of get back in that place but it's it's almost like it's a cliche to compare a movie to a roller coaster, a roller coaster right? yeah. but it is like that where it's like i don't have any emotional investment in it i'd watch it again yeah. but it whereas this this movie victoria it hasn't left me like it mm. uh, it's uh, I, I can't stop thinking about it um it's fantastic the director's name is uh sebastian shipper do you know if this is uh gonna get any kind of distribution boy i, I hope so i certainly hope it does it 
I, I can't imagine why it wouldn't. And even um, because she's Spanish and they're German, most of the movie's in English because oh, okay. that's the because that's the one yeah, language yeah. they both speak. Mm. Uh, the main the two main characters, the right. characters. But uh, yeah, um, it won an award, didn't it? I don't think it did. I oh, think, really? Uh, uh, yeah, I thought I was hoping it would, but it might not even be in competition. Oh, I, yeah, I have no idea. Um, Nothing I saw got an award except for. Uh, uh, Babushkas of Chernobyl got like a runner-up, a runner-up like best director or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the only one I saw that got an award too. Yeah, but yeah, uh, Victoria is my favorite movie. You know, Inside Out, notwithstanding, is my favorite movie of of the festival. Hmm. And uh, in my top three of movies I've seen in 2015, wow, probably. Well, yeah. I, I need to watch that one. Fantastic. Again, I feel like I'm rubbing it in because you didn't. Get to I know that was yeah. one we had talked about. Me, yeah, we were you, gonna go, yeah. and then I couldn't go. And then uh, the last thing I'll talk about is a film that I talked about in the movie journal because I got to see it before the uh, before the festival. A documentary called "In Football We Trust," mm. which is uh, um, again I'll repeat myself from the movie journal and from my review. What Hoop Dreams is was to young African American basketball playing kids in South Side of Chicago. In Football We Trust is to young Polynesian American football players in suburban Utah. Um, I always like any sentence where every word that comes after just makes it certainly more specific, but also more Mormon. I said Utah. So you probably could have guessed, but um, yeah, they're Mormon uh, in football players. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Now it has twice as many main characters as hoop dreams. That'd be four. That's four. Yeah. Uh, And it's half as long, meaning it's about 85 minutes. Um, whereas Hoop Dreams is close to three hours, mm-hmm. right? Um, is it? I guess I watched it piecemeal in school, so I don't remember it being that long. But well, and it flies by too. That's the other yeah, thing because I mean yeah. it's it covers eight years, and so eight yeah, years and three right. hours. And, so you know. um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that in football we trust is as good as Hoop Dreams, but it is worth comparing. Like it's a mm. really good movie, um, really compelling. Has a, has as much like a good documentary uh, has as much uh, comedy as it does. Um, you know, insight and emotion. Uh, I think that's to me when you're doing any sort of like slice of life type of thing like that, uh, you should see the, it humanizes. I know the real people and you don't think you have to humanize them, but you're still making a film. And so it humanizes them to keep in things that are funny. There's one of the characters is going to, he's gotten the letter. He's going to go on his mission. He's a Mormon. He's going to go on his mission and he's gotten the letter from the church, uh, church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, that's going to tell him where his placement is. And so this is a thing like his whole extended family is coming over for him to open the, open the letter. And you hear his mom, like there's a scene, his mom's like, if him, you know, they're going to be here, go put on a shirt and tie, go dress up. He's like wearing like his back, his like basketball shorts and a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And he's like insisting, he's like, Oh, I'm not getting dressed up just to open a letter in front of some people cut to him in like a shirt and tie. Uh, that's a nice little wah, moment. Wah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's it, like, if it were in a movie, you'd see it coming, but be, or if it were in a fictional movie, you would see it coming, but because it's a documentary, it's like, well, that really happened. That's funny. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> but it's very touching and it has some stuff that, uh, I guess if you follow it's again, it's not quite as long as hoop dreams, but I did follow these kids for like at least three years. Um, from what I can tell, um, if you follow people long enough, you're going to get a lot of good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, in football we trust. That's the last one I'll talk about. What yeah. do you have left? I'm done. We're all we're all we're done. All done. I all right. Chernobyl covered us because right. right. We both right. saw that one. Okay. Uh, so 
you can find us at battleshippretension.com. You can email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow, you can find uh, reviews of all the movies that I talked about, um, uh, from LA film fest at battleshippretension.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Davy pretension. Uh, Tyler is at Tyler pretension. You have another podcast. It's called Hey Watch. Sorry. No, it's not. Whoa, it's called, there. it's called more than one lesson. Wait, did Paul draft <laughs> me into this? Uh, what's going on in more than one lesson? Uh, this week's not going to be very interesting for BP listeners. It's, uh, I had a, a Christian radio host on who, uh, specializes in, uh, debates and, uh, that sort of thing. Okay. And I thought that was very interesting because I sounds wanted to, that sounds to me like the, the most stressful life a person could have because it's just like, Hey, you want to, you know, arguments, you know how mo- any, anyone in the world tries to avoid, avoid them. I'm just going to walk right into them all the time. And what's interesting is, uh, after we recorded, he said, uh, that he really enjoyed himself and, you know, he'd love to be back on the show at some point and talk more specifically. And that sounded great. But he also said, and this fascinated me, he said, like, you asked questions that like no one else asked. And I said, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? Cause I, I feel like I'm, I don't think I'm an interv- I don't think I'm a mediocre interviewer, but I do feel like I ask pretty standard questions and right. then maybe, de- you know delve into follow-ups but like uh and he goes well you asked me like how i felt about this stuff he's like everyone else just asked me like what i think and what the type of arguments i make he's like you actually asked me how i felt leading into it and that sort of thing and i was like that's like the first question (laughs) but anyway so it's there's some interesting stuff on there there's not a lot of movie talk it's all christian stuff so listeners might not be that interested still sounds interesting um my other podcast is called hey watch this it's about tv this week paul and i are talking about the uh premiere of the astronauts wives club on abc i don't know what name network it's on and the premiere of catastrophe on amazon prime which i'm very excited to watch it's supposed Hmm. to be great um that's the one with rob Delaney. Rob Delaney. Yep. Yeah. Um, where can people find you and your work? Um, I am on Twitter at functional nerd. I, I, when I'm not, uh, overrun with editing things, I tweet quite a bit. Um, you can find my writings on nerdist.com. Um, I also have two podcasts on your very network, right? Uh, okay. I've got what the fuck are you watching, which has been around for a while. We're coming up on our 200th episode. Uh, now, uh, huh. As of, <laughs> as of the time of recording, uh, huh. What is the most recent episode? As of about? the time of recording, because we took a week off last week, because uh, my co-host Lincoln uh, moved to Vermont, and I, I was oh. very busy with work, so we just took a week off. Uh, the most recent one recorded was uh, was with myself and uh, Tyler. Yeah, all right. from Battleship what, Retention. What did we talk about? I don't we talked remember. about a movie from uh, '95 called Congo. Congo. Is, is there anything? Is there anything notable about that place? Um, well, it, it it is where you are the endangered species. Me? Yeah. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I don't want to be the endangered species. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that was a really fun conversation. Um, uh, kind of as a lead up to Jurassic World, we talked about that, which I thought was good. And then, but uh, the best episode you've ever done is the Reflecting Skin right. episode. Right, it's true. When that one has David on it, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is a, a movie that I still have. It's on my shelf. It's not one that I'm. I'm I don't think I'm ever gonna because I, I sell a lot of stuff. If I'm like, if if it's been like a year or two, and I'm like, I have not watched this again. Right, I'll go take it to Amazon. Every time I look at that one, I'm like, I'm keeping that one. I'm gonna <laughs> but, mull that one over. I'm glad your co-host probably burned his cup. I'm sure he did. He did not like he it. He did not like that movie at all. <laughs> um, the other podcast that I do just joined the network. It's called the classic horror cast. Um, 
which comes out once a month on uh, usually around the seventh of every month. Uh, our most recent episode was comparing, contrasting the two 1931 Draculas, the the Spanish language one and the English language one. And everyone says that the Spanish language one is better. Uh, and so I hadn't seen the Spanish language one. I, so, um, yeah. I, I own it. Uh, it's part of this uh, cool little collection that they put out in 2003 to tie in with Van Helsing. Yeah, uh, I remember that. Yeah, so I, I have it, but I still haven't watched it. Uh, super worth a watch. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing it doesn't have in its favor is it doesn't have Bela Lugosi. That's it. That is because I've seen clips from it. And from what it sounds like, the 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 it's such a fascinating story because yeah. so they're shooting dracula yeah the the english language dracula during the day during the day and then at night the spanish crew would come in use the same sets but i think they would also see a lot of the dailies and they'd think we can do better than that Mm -hmm. the same basic story and so it's stuff like and they would shoot the same scenes every day too, because that's what they had up and so they would just change they would think make things a bit more dramatic but the one thing they didn't have was a particularly suave dracula yeah, and and um, the Spanish version is about twenty minutes longer hmm. than the American version, and th- it makes all the difference. Like, have you ever seen uh, the older cut of Metropolis? Yeah, the shorter one, and you go, okay, this is fine. And then I remember seeing with the restored footage, and I'm like, I understand this movie in mm-hmm. a way that I never thought I, I would. I, I never really responded to Metropolis until I saw that. I think yep. we probably saw it. At yeah, the we did time. at the same yeah. time. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it, what what are the what's the, what's in that other twenty minutes out of curiosity? Because uh, it's because yeah, it's the same basic story. Yeah, well, in in the American one, uh, if you remember, there's uh, Dracula has his meeting with Van Era with uh, Renfield at the beginning when Renfield mm-hmm. comes to the castle, and then he kind of just shows he, the the brides like points in the direction, and right. then we cut. The very next scene is them on the boat and Renfield's yes. already insane. That's you right. get to see a lot more of Renfield going insane. Oh. You get to see a lot more of the brides kind of tempting him and stuff like that. And then you just kind of throughout the movie get to see a lot more connective tissue between scenes. Basically, the Todd Browning version. I'm just giving away the whole episode. The Todd Browning version is basically just highlights of, you know, if you see clips from it, you're that's all there is. There is no <laughs> connective tissue between scenes and the movie just ends. It's just. You go up there while I stake Dracula. The end. That's the end of that movie. <laughs> Tyler Smith, fun fact. One of my favorite characters of all time in any capacity is Renfield. I've seen uh, him on stage. I've seen him in, in film. I've read the book. And I find Renfield so fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and and any actor who plays, and like Tom Waits played him, but then even in like Dracula Dead and Loving It with Peter McNichol playing him. And then of course Dr- Dwight Fry is amazing. Yeah. I've, I've loved it. Every time. I can't remember the guy's name who does it in the Spanish version. He's better than Dwight Fry. Really? Yep. That's All saying right. something. So, so check that out. Check that out. The next um, episode that will come out next month is uh, American World of London. So. Nice. Uh, all right. Um, and of course you will all be at Comic-Con in yep. just a, just a That's couple right. of weeks. So come to our meetup, uh, Thursday, July 9th, eight to 10 PM. Just come up, you know, you don't have to be right, right at eight. We'll be there. We'll be at the bootlegger no. from eight to 10 PM. Come I and say hi. Fashionably late. Um, I will not because I need to be there to say hi to the manager that I, uh, anyway, and get everything set up. Um, I'm kind of, kind of the bad boy of the podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, come to the bootlegger, have a good time at Comic-Con. Kyle, thanks for being here and doing this with Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Thanks for fun. having me. This is, uh, this is a fun thing. Next, hopefully next year I'll get to see more movies so we yeah. can have more of a discussion. Maybe I'll go next year. I probably won't. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.